This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. Men become men by taking risks, by venturing out into darkness and chaos and uncertainty, by experiencing fear and overcoming it. Rituals of initiation from boyhood into manhood have often required some sort of ordeal, some harrowing of hell. In many such rituals, young men often leave the village and enter some sort of liminal or threshold space where they experience a spiritual death, sometimes blackening themselves with ash or wearing masks to become the dead or the ancestors. An example that most are probably familiar with is the sequence from the film 300, where young Leonidas is sent out of Sparta to brave the wilderness and he returns to become a Spartan man after he has killed a wolf. A consistent heroic motif throughout Indo-European culture is the slaying of a dragon, specifically a dragon, but more broadly speaking, some kind of terrible beast. Heracles had to kill a lion and a boar and a hydra. And his name means glory of Hera, which seems like a joke since Hera was the cause of all of his troubles, but if it weren't for the challenges she sent him, he never would have become a hero. Theseus had to make his way through the labyrinth and kill the Minotaur. Perseus had to figure out a way to slay Medusa. Indra fought the dragon Vritra, striking him on the nape of his neck with a thunderbolt and in so doing released the waters for the world. Sigurd slayed the dragon Fafnir, who was kind of a golem character cursed by a ring, and when he tasted his blood he learned the language of birds. Thor fought all kinds of monsters and ravenous, devouring giants. But he was fated to face Jormungand, the serpent that encircles the earth, for his final battle at Ragnarok. The hero or the heroic god, the striker, he only becomes what he is because he seeks out darkness and chaos and fear, and he confronts it and conquers it, or he dies trying. If you're gonna have a hero, you're going to need a challenge. You're gonna need a monster. You're going to need a dragon. And heroes are just men writ large, so if you're gonna have a man, you're gonna need some kind of challenge. You're gonna need some chaos. You're going to need some darkness for him to overcome. Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. My guest this week truly needs no introduction. If you're familiar with the Renaissance at all, you probably already recognize the gravel, grit, and drama of his voice. No doubt you also recognize the subject matter as well, distilling timeless mythological themes into practical wisdom for men seeking to become the best versions of themselves today. But not just good men, men who are good at being men, a distinction he created in his best-selling book, The Way of Men, in which he also articulated the four tactical virtues of strength, 
courage, mastery, and honor. For these reasons and more, I consider The Way of Men a canonical work of the Renaissance, and almost a decade after its writing, it hits harder than ever. He followed up The Way of Men with two books, Becoming a Barbarian and a More Complete Beast, each of which in their own way helped men, including me, get more comfortable in the growing chaos of the empire of nothing, another phrase he coined to describe our failing age. In this way, reading his books isn't just about learning new information, but seeing in a new way. They are their own form of initiation. And by now, of course, you know I'm talking about Jack Donovan. Bearing all this in mind, when Jack and I met at the 21 convention in October, we had a lot to talk about. During one particularly lengthy chat over a beer, he told me about his upcoming book, which would be about masculine religion and what he called solar idealism. That manifested in his newest work, which has just arrived fresh off the press, titled Fire in the Dark. If Jack's previous three books were about looking backwards and forwards in time, Fire in the Dark is about looking up to the sky, down to the earth, and deep within ourselves to orient our spiritual knowing along lines that would be familiar to men of other nations, ages, and faiths. It's a powerful work, and one that I believe men of any faith can see themselves and their beliefs reflected in, tinted with a golden solar hue. In our conversation, we discussed how surprised he is to be the guy who wrote The Way of Men and who writes about the things he does, why masculinity is dying and why it's worth saving, how he saw the gender and culture war coming back in art school in the 1990s, the impossibility of being everything for everyone and how doing what you're told and following the agenda is unsustainable, and finally the ways that art has turned against men and how we can begin producing art that speaks to us once again. I know I said a moment ago that my guest needs no introduction, but for his continuing and towering contributions to the philosophy, writing, and aesthetics that drive us all, I felt I owed him one. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce my 20th guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, author of The Way of Men and Fire in the Dark, Jack Donovan. Hey, Jack, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because, as we've talked about, I've been reading a lot of your material lately so I can understand the context that Fire in the Dark exists in your new book. And uh, as a result of that, I have a real good sense of where it's come from and what you're really speaking about uh, in general with your whole journey as a writer. So I kind of want to start there a little bit if we can. Okay, sounds good. Okay. So actually, I want to start with something that you said in the acknowledgements section, which is an unusual place to start for... for It for, is. You're starting at the end. Starting at the very end, exactly. Yeah. You said, I shouldn't have been the guy who wrote The Way of Men, but I was. I shouldn't be able to write this book, but I am. Sometimes I feel as though I've been pulling all this down from somewhere else. And I thought that, yeah. was, a, I thought that was a really powerful thing to read, because obviously you've been writing about it for so long. And your book, your work has been so influential. So I'm just curious if you could speak to what inspired some of those thoughts. Well, I mean, you get that sense over the time. I mean, I, I wouldn't have said that probably five years ago or when I wrote The Way of Men. Yeah. But then when I look over the long term and look at the impact that it's had, like that I was the first guy, like one of the first guys. I mean, now there's a whole bunch of you got your Jocko Willinks and you got all, all these people that were mm-hmm. really not around when I wrote The Way of Men. Mm-hmm. It was really one of the first books to put some of these ideas together. And now it's it's become almost foundational and people refer to it in other books and mm-hmm. in, in, in their discussions. And it's almost it's almost become a, a, like a starting assumption rather than a book like, well, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, I, I put out ideas that people take as starting assumptions. And, and so that's 
really cool and really honoring and, and, and gratifying and whatever. But yeah, how was I, how did I end up being that guy who, who did that thing? Uh, you know, at the time I was just, you know, like, you know, a truck driver who's mad at the world and like, uh, you know, and like saw what was happening and saw that there was a problem and tried to say something about what the solution was and so forth. I was, you know, coming home and writing that on the weekends when I wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And then for it to become something bigger than that, that's, that's pretty amazing. And for, for me who went to art school to be writing this book that then like Navy SEALs are being like, yeah, that was really good. That was exactly what I think too. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> how did I pull that off? You know, I'm not the guy who should be able to do that. Uh, I don't have their experiences or their backgrounds, you know, like to have MMA fighters be like, yep, you got it. Uh, you know, like all, to have that happen over and over again and uh, to influence men who let them buy it for their children, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, men buy it for their sons, men buy it for their friends. I, I've often said, I think there's an anecdote, someone wrote me an email that uh, uh, a dude was in jail overnight for something stupid and the cop gave it to him. Like, <laughs> you know, things like that happen. And it's been, it's been really strange and otherworldly. And so, yeah, I mean, it, to, to think that I was the guy who did that, it's, it's humbling. And it does feel like, like I was supposed to be the guy to do it for some reason. You know, oh. I mean, it, you know, it's, a, you know, I, I don't try to, overdo supernatural stuff and I don't try to like wipe it away, but somewhere in between, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it does feel like maybe it was my destiny to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's exciting. You know, that, that, and like I said, whenever you're writing and it's, and it's good, you know, it's, I'm thinking with my, my fingers at that point, mm-hmm. a lot of it's like coming out, it comes out good and it comes out fast. And like, I'm like, where did this idea come from? How do I still know that word? You know, like mm-hmm. there's all this kind of stuff. And I think it's very, you know, there's a lot of mystery to life still. Well, so how did you become the guy who wrote that? I mean, where did, where did it come from back then? So you're angry at the world and obviously, you know, to write a book like that, which I do agree is foundational when I, when I tell men about the Renaissance of men, about this movement of men that exists and that's now spreading around the world. I tell them that the four foundational books are Iron John, uh, by Robert Bly, The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. I think The Rational Male by Rollo Tomasi has a lot to say. And I tell them The Way of Men by Jack Donovan. But if you forced me to pick two, I would pick The Way of Men by Jack Donovan and Iron John by Robert Bly, which we'll get into later. But uh, this, okay. wasn't a, this wasn't a field that you had necessarily been studying in that way. I knew that you, uh, you have that reference, that Newell book, uh, which, which I purchased, which is a great book. Like what is yeah. a man? I think is the name of that book, but it's not like we were all steeped in it. Like we are quite now. And yet still you were able to channel, channel these very timeless values into a book that has, continues to stand the test of time. Do you know how that happened? Or you know, did you feel like you were being touched by fire, I guess, in a way or lightning when you were writing the way of men? A little bit, a little bit. I mean, uh, definitely. I mean, it, it's topics that have always interested me. And that I, I would have said my feelings about them when I was 21 would have been wrong, hmm. dead wrong. But, uh, <laughs> but the, the things that I would say, like I was interested in gender and, and, uh, and sex and, and uh, all that and what it meant. I mean, I was really reading Camille Paglia when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I was never, never studying this or really never interested in it before a certain period. Uh, so it's always been something that I've been thinking about. And, um, you know, what is masculinity has always been a subject of interest to me. Like I said, my answers would have been wrong earlier, sure. but, uh, you know, I, li- I lived a lot of life and got to a certain place and, uh, went back and looked at some, some things that I had believed and realized they were wrong and that, uh, something that something beautiful was dying mm-hmm. in the world and something that, uh, that was worth saving 
really the only thing that's worth saving as far as I'm concerned in many ways. Uh, and so, you know, they, yeah, I had to go back and look at all those things and uh, re-examine a lot of my own ideas. And I think because I am the weird guy, because I went to art school and I'm not, I'm not some guy who grew up with his dad hunting mm-hmm. and then went in the military because that guy, I mean, it's forest for the trees, right? I mean, I think that he would, he would be in that enough that he can't see it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was in New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco and, and, uh, in all kinds of different worlds and all kinds of, you know, I was like in nightclubs in New York city and, and, and living in a way that they would be totally alien to them. And so then when I come back to this question of like, what is masculinity, I'm looking at it in a way from a like 10,000 foot view, mm-hmm. not just like what all my friends think. And you know, I'm like not isolated in a small group or like, I haven't been like indoctrinated into mm-hmm. a certain way of thinking about it. I had to look at it as a logic problem and really take it apart. And really because I've been part of so many different worlds in in ways, I think one of the starting ways I looked at masculinity was what is, you know, when you look at men who are extremely effeminate or acknowledged as being effeminate by everyone, what are they doing different? Mm -hmm. You know, and so I did a back, you know, like a back reverse engineering of it uh, in many ways. Like what signals are they sending that why do we know from three blocks away that that guy is gay or that he, that he's really effeminate or whatever. Like why do we, what is, what signal is he sending that I can pick it up from like 200 yards? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like what's, what's there. And when you start to look at that, I mean, I think things become more obvious when you're looking at it from that kind of distance rather than, you know, like what my grandpa said or what my dad said or, or, you know, what my friends have always said around me. When you're looking at it from like, what are the signals? Like what's different? You know, what's the same, what's different. Uh, and I think that that, that allowed me to look at it in a different way than, than someone who's in it. I mean, and a lot of people who have written about masculinity, I talked about that obviously when, uh, I get into the idea between masculinity and morality is, you know, you have books like that. A lot of people like there's a really religious one that has been really, uh, popular and uh, it's recommended a lot by guys who are in a certain religion. Mm-hmm. I think I may actually reference it in the way of men because, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on it, but, uh, no, I can't think of it. it either. It's, it, it was one of the ones it, it, like for a minute, it was used by like cartels in Mexico. Like <laughs> there's a reference to oh, it. Oh yeah. There. I know. I know the reference that you're talking about, but I don't yeah. know the name of the book. Yeah. 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 But, uh, I mean, because you know, there's a certain, you know, if you're going to look through the lens of masculinity, according to Christianity, that's a really good book for that apparently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But guys who are in that mode, they can only present it from one angle. Mm-hmm. Because they're in, they they have an allegiance to something, and even if you look at someone like you know like your Jockos or whatever, and I just use him because he's like generic military personality. Right, right, I'm not right. you know, on him personally or yeah. whatever. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I I've actually haven't even watched him that much. I listened to like half of one of his audiobooks. He just seems he seems like a good guy. Yeah. But when you come from that uh, that background, you have certain allegiances. I mean, he's said oaths to things. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, he he has certain allegiances that he has to v- validate, mm-hmm. and that and he has a million friends that he can't piss off because he's, he's been in the military and has all these connections and has, has all this background. And I had none of that. And mm-hmm. so I was really like, well, let's just look at this as a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so I guess being an outsider kind of helped in that way. Oh, I completely relate to that. It was the same for me in my own way. I had to discover all this on my own as an outsider, as someone who similarly had very mistaken 
issues about masculinity and perspectives on it. Not that I'd ever really thought about it, but I knew I knew from a relatively young age that something's not quite right here and the world is not responding to me in the way that I would like. And there's more in me than I'm aware of. And it was only through a series of circumstances that I discovered that it was through a lack of masculinity in myself that I began to realize, oh, this is this is what I'm missing. And so then I just became just voraciously hungry for as much information as I could find about it because I wasn't finding any of it in my everyday life. And then you said something really interesting. You said something beautiful is dying. And I think that's really, really powerful in, in connecting to, you know, how we as men need to bring it back and how there's something very unique in that for the men that need to create it in, inside themselves versus the men who already have it. And if you already right. have it, you don't know, you don't recognize what's being lost. So, you know, on yeah. and on we seem to go, right? So yeah. like the, this idea of these men that have these mistaken ideas, in some ways it does fall to us to sort of say, how can we bring this back? And these men who already do have it can provide the model that says, oh yeah, okay, it's a real thing. Yeah, and, and, I, and that's why it's so cool that, like I said, those guys weren't around when I was writing The Way of Men as much, or they weren't interested in masculinity because they were sheltered from what I already saw happening. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you're living in a major city and, you know, they're, they're out killing people in the Middle East, they, they, they're like, masculinity makes perfect sense to them, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, know? you know, but uh, they're not going through HR meetings and uh, they weren't really seeing what was happening. Right. You know, like they, it didn't seem like a real and it didn't seem like a threat to them, I think, at mm-hmm. that point. And then at a certain point, I think a lot of guys have gotten on the bandwagon and realized, like, this is a really big problem. Mm-hmm. And it took... You know, I wish it would have happened 10 years earlier. I mean, I probably wouldn't be well known because they would have gotten to it before I did. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's a really important issue and, and it, it was allowed to slide way too far. Mm-hmm. And in, in many ways, that's a perspective that I have then because, you know, I, like I said, I went to art school in the early 90s. Like, let's challenge ginger and like whatever. I mean, that's not new to me. Mm-hmm. That like I've read that theory. We 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 were doing that in, in 1994. You know, like mm-hmm. I saw that coming. Yeah, and uh, I saw all that, and I was around all that. And and at the time, I thought it was cool because it was new and it was exciting and mm-hmm. like it was something that now when you hear kids talking about, it, I'm like, that shit is like 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Calm down. You're like the, like it's 30 years old and it's the dumb idea. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, at the time, it wasn't, and it was like you know, like well, what what are all these assumptions that maybe not be, might not be true? Mm-hmm. And that's what it, get, it makes people excited about it when they, when they get into it. But you know, those, those guys I think didn't have to deal with that world or see it. They weren't aware of it. They're mm-hmm. just like, who is this woman writing this things in this magazine? Like crazy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know? And then they go back to being in the military and hang out with their gun guys mm-hmm. and they, you know, they, they don't see it coming. And now I think everyone is very aware of it. Mm-hmm. And, so now a lot of guys have stepped up. I mean, you got that, uh, the, the warrior poet society guy, you got mm-hmm. the, you know, your Jockos, you got the Ryan Mickler, you got all these guys who are really bringing something to the table and can be exemplars mm-hmm. in a way. So then I had to find myself in that world to a certain extent, because I don't have that background. Like I'm not going to teach you how to go slay bodies. That's not my job, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I can talk about philosophy and ideas because I've been thinking about this stuff for a long time. And at this point, you know, this is, I think my dad asked me last night while we were on the phone, he's like, this has been like 10 years, hasn't it? And I was like, I was like next year, yeah. and, and the way of men will be 10 years old next year. So I've been having this conversation I'm having with you for 10 years. So like, I, and I've been watching the media and I've been watching everything over time. And I remember when Ryan Mickler was first kind of showing up and I was like, 
you know, I, I could see the phases that he was going through that I already had gone through, mm-hmm. you know, because he, he, had, he was first dealing with the, the backlash of things that he was saying for a while. And now he's based and yeah. he's fine. But like, you know, when he was first doing it, he seemed legitimately like upset and confused sometimes. And like, and now, you know, he's, he's got it, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, it's a weird thing to deal with, you know, and you have to find where you're going to be with all these things. Well, I think a lot of these men that you're talking about, like the Jockos, for example, or like the soldiers, not to not to continue mentioning him specifically because obviously it's not about him, but you know, a mm-hmm. lot of these Navy SEAL guys and you know they were and and soldiers, they were overseas fighting real world wars and weren't aware of the culture war that was continuing to gain ground in this Blitzkrieg kind of fashion until yeah. finally sometime, probably I think it was around 2016, at least when I think a lot of men really started waking up to like, whoa, you know, and now of course it's, it's in your face. It's literally everywhere. You can't turn on the TV, don't turn yeah. on the TV, but when you turn on the TV, you will <laughs> see it. And now it's everywhere. And now, you know, people are very quickly, and I think this is a good thing, men especially are being forced to choose sides. It's like, what side are you going to be on? You know, and, yeah. and I don't want it to be that way. I don't like this whole side choosing idea, but very quickly, it's like, you're either with the empire of nothing, which I think is a fantastic phrase, or you're for, I would choose to call it the renaissance of men, because I, I right. view it as a historical process that we're living through that's actually been going on for 40 years. And that we're now riding the leading edge wave of it. Uh, right. That's what I call it. Uh, that sort of that will push back on the empire of nothing. But I think more men are being woken up to this reality. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Like you said, you can't avoid it now. Right. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, just the other day, there was a photograph of a football player. I don't know for what team, but he came out of the locker room, was doing the the hotel walk, you know, where they've, they're all showing off their clothes, which, you know, is a thing in many sports league now where the, the men are actually, you know, these high status men are wearing fashionable clothing. It's sort of their own model walk. But this, this player was wearing, it essentially, it looked like a floral dress. And it looked like yeah. a floor. You know, I don't know if you saw that photo, but it caused quite a stir in some of the chat rooms that I was in where it's like, this is, this is the, the political agenda that's now being pushed, you know, on men to get them to question these gender boundary edges, yeah. you know, this conversation that yeah. you've been paying attention to for 30 years, which is like, yeah. now it's boring, but as boring as it is from a philosophical standpoint, it's now very, very real from a, from a physical standpoint, I guess you'd say. Oh yeah. 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 Well, cause because it's, you can get so much attention mm. now that guy would have been like put to the desk dustbin. Like that would, that would have been like, let's cover that up. You yeah. know, like before, you know, the, the whole management and everything would have been like, no, 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 you know? And now, you know, he can get a million Twitter reposts and like, you know, like shares and any, he, and he's going to get so much media attention. And he's going to be made to look like a hero, mm-hmm. maybe not by the people he respects the most, but by somebody. And it's going to be a lot of people. And so he's going to be made to be like this big, like he's challenging something and doing something daring when really he's, he's just really following the program and doing exactly what he's told. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's just the first one that's doing what he's told. And so he's going to get attention for it. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, there's a lot to be gained from that. You see dudes doing this all the time and, and you see, especially in Hollywood, you see like guys, you know, who are action movie stars and they make their whole living doing that kind of stuff. And then they, they say some really provocative things that they're supposed to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, like, and then it's like, Ooh, uh, and then he's a big hero to all these women and he, and, and uh, he can go back to doing what he likes doing, mm-hmm. you know, which is being an action hero in action movies, which is the most masculine thing you can imagine. Oh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, but then now, now it's like, we really need to question generals. 
okay, now I'm going to go back shooting people. You know, like that's yeah. the, fake shooting people. And now I'm going to, we really need to question gender right. roles as the guy who plays dress up and make believe for a living. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so that's what I like about the totality of your work is that it articulates a very masculine vision of reality in this very holistic kind of way. Like I think of it having read the books as almost like world building, but it's not world building. It's world describing, particularly reading Becoming a Barbarian, just the, the, the distinctions that you make in that book. Uh, about you, know, not my people, not my problem sort of thing. It's like, well, we're all told to, that we're supposed to be everything to everyone. And certainly I have lived in stages of life where I've been everything to everyone and how yeah. painful that that way of being was. And just, just even reading the book and recognizing I don't have to be everything to everyone. I can be the right guy for my people and how I don't like this word empowering because it's a captured word, but I'll use it anyway. How empowering this felt. It's like, oh, what a relief. Like, I feel so much strength come back into my body being like, no, I can decide who my people are and I can be the right guy for them. And I don't have to be everything for everyone. And I thought it was, yeah. it was wonderful. The many powerful distinctions of that book. Yeah, because you can't. Right. I mean, you can't be everything. That, that is literally impossible. And, and that's what I think a lot of these guys are going to find out who, you know, think that they're riding the wave. Um. And, you know, that world eats itself. Mm -hmm. So like they think they're riding the wave and doing the right thing. Well, is he going to do that again next year? Is he, or is he going to, is he going to be appropriating something next year? Cause the rules are going to change mm -hmm. and then he's going to be the enemy and, uh, or he's never going to be, he's never going to be a woman. So he's never going to be enough of a woman <laughs> to be right. like, you know, like he's just going to be a, a, a tool that they can use. Mm -hmm. And then discard because eventually he's going to say something that isn't the right thing that week. Mm -hmm. And, right. uh, you know, he's gonna be thrown away. And so I think more and more people are going to realize that, uh, you know, over time, but it, everyone's scared and everything moves so fast. Mm -hmm. Well, the intersectional hierarchy, the intersectional Olympics is a very subjective kind of set of games, you know, where it's like, why is this person on top today? And then the, how does this all yeah. work? It's like, it works however it needs to work to advance the agenda is the answer. Yeah, like, don't look for consistency. It, it, yeah, it does, exactly. It, the the objective is just to destroy consistency. Really, right. you know, it's about it's about to make people disoriented, mm -hmm. and so yeah, it, it'll constantly change, and it's not going to settle into a new system of rules. Because mm -hmm. how could you have that? You know, like because if you, if your model is like eternal inclusiveness, you just keep expanding it, mm -hmm. and then and and then you know once trans people are like totally accepted in every in every role and in every way and in everything of society, like, well, who's next? Mm -hmm. uh, and who are they oppressing? You know, <laughs> you, know, you know, like, and who are they? Yes. Because that's what's going to happen. And right. that's, that's, that's the way this game has been going for a, a long time. Mm -hmm. and, you know, before you could be safe, you were just a Democrat. You know, right. <laughs> and, I'm on the uh, right now, side. now it's like way down the line from that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like how you say that, that disorientation is actually the goal. I mean, I see so many guys on Twitter, you know, I think they're, they're mostly well-meaning so many, maybe not even dissident, right. But just like someone like James Lindsay, you know, who runs new discourses and he's done a really great job with, uh, with talking about critical theory, critical race theory and stuff like that. And he yeah. throws these things out there and some other commentators as well. And they throw these things out. Well, well, you said this and now what about this? You know, they're searching for that consistency. And it's like, okay, really at this point, like you're searching for consistency is really cute. And I get that it's really well-meaning, but there's not anyone on that side who's like, oh yeah, you know what? You're right. There is, I am being hypocritical. Thank you. It's like, well, no, that's not, yeah. that's not how this game goes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dudes get so angry because they, they're looking for, I mean, you know, as I talk about in the new book, like Men, yep. men, men want order yep. and they want it to make sense in some way, even if it doesn't really make sense 
the story has to make have some kind of cohesion. Yep. And that's the thing is that they're getting mad at it. Like, well, can't you see that that doesn't make sense? Right. Like, this is not that. And da, 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 you know, like, but it doesn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to the people who are saying it if it makes sense, uh, because they'll just they're going to change it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so it, it doesn't have to be consistent. And right. as men, that drives us crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of people who just don't care. And, 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 you know, like if, if these are the rules today, most people go with the flow. We saw this the, this past year, mm. uh, you know, like, Oh, what are the rules today? All right. We're, yeah. we're, that's what we're going to do. And, uh, and then the rules will change tomorrow and then we'll just move with that. And, uh, you know, again, that's disorienting. Well, the disorientation is the actual goal. And I think that's the part that's yep. so difficult that so many men struggle with myself included is, you know, over the past year, everything has gone absolutely insane and, and it's been clown world, which I love how you reference that in the new book, you know, uh, that's, yeah. a, that's a, to describe a feeling that everything is upside down and backwards and nothing makes sense. And yeah. is it all going to settle into some sort of sensible way, some sort of sensible way of being? And the answer appears yeah. to be no, it's just going to continue yeah. to be disorientation, kind of like, you know, shoes in the dryer, like being tossed over and over and over again. And the challenge yeah. is in that, and the empire of nothing really expanded to its maximum borders. Like, no, there really is nothing in here and nothing is far more, nothing is more chaotic than you might imagine nothing to be. And so yeah. how do we establish order amongst the, the chaos, which is, you know, where you actually, you know, get to by the end of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I want to talk about where you see, because we talked a little bit about this in Orlando as well, which was an amazing conversation to get the background of the book, but where you see Fire in the Dark fitting in with the, with your previous books, because I can see now, having read The Way of Man and becoming a barbarian, a more complete beast, why it's the natural evolution, I guess you might say spiritually, from, from the philosophies that you laid out. But I wonder if you could share more about that from your perspective. Well, it is a natural evolution. I think that's a good way to say it. People always ask me what order I should, they should read my books in. And I'm like the order in which they're written because yeah, I'm, exactly. a different per- I'm a different person by the time you get to the end. Yeah. Uh, you know, some things are always true and, and, and that's the real challenge as a writer is to maintain that thread of consistency and, and acknowledge when you're wrong. Like, mm-hmm. and, and be like, well, that I had to say that and, and think about that to get here. Mm-hmm. And so like you go through different phases and I've obviously gone through tons of phases of, of exploring different ideas. And it's like, I, I had to do this thing so that I would understand the thing that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, like it could be, uh, that is, I think one thing that's unique about me as a writer. I mean, you have the, like your military guys that we've been talking about who, who are then going back and writing about something that they already experienced. Most of the time I'm like, I'm going to th- throw spaghetti at a wall and then I'm going to go do that thing, mm-hmm. you know, and like, I'll go and try and do that. Like whether it's, you know, starting a tribe or taking martial art or everything like that, I'll write about it that in theory, and then try and put it into practice is in whatever way makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of things have been learned experiences along the way. Like, let's try this. Well, I'm going to refine that idea because I tried that mm-hmm. and here's what I learned about it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, there's things that I wouldn't tell do, to do now that I would have, you know, five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, cause I'm like, well, I try that. And here's some of the pitfalls you're going to see, son, mm-hmm. you know, sure. like <laughs> there, there's so, and, and there's other, maybe I just wasn't the right guy to do that particular thing. Uh, you know, cause there are different personalities and different ways that things work. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely an evolution of my work. And as I've been saying it, I do think it's going a little bit back to my roots in the way of men, uh, because the way of men was very universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like, what is always true? 
And, you know, what is always true and what has always been true, like, and it, with the way of men, it's about masculinity. And with Fire in the Dark, it's more about uh, male spirituality, but in the way that that intersects with what I've talked about in the way of men. Mm-hmm. It really just expands on the ideas of the way of men because uh, the way of men obviously talks mostly about the role that makes us most masculine mm-hmm. is that warrior role. I mean, that's the, mo- the, the most differentiating role. Mm-hmm. that we have. I mean, the fact that we're built a little bit more for violence and the fact that we're, you know, built with a little bit more of these skills to fight each other and to fight animals and, and to do all the things. And that's, and also the interest to do it. Mm-hmm. That is kind of the natural role of men, but you know, that's not a whole male life. Right. Uh, you know, there's a lot more to being a man than just the things that make us the most different. Uh, you know, I had to define that to talk about what masculinity is, but obviously men, also go through a lot of other stuff and inhabiting a male body going through a whole lifetime, you encounter a bunch of other things Mm -hmm. and you're always going to be a a male dealing with these problems. And so you see it from that perspective. And so our perspective is a little bit different. And, you know, so I talk about in the fire and dark, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, creating order and, and, uh, and that's what so many people, that's what dads do. That's what people have to do in society is create order. and, And maintaining that order is a huge part of, you know, whether it's governance or, you know, me trying to get my dogs to behave, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's setting rules and boundaries and making all these straight lines and all these things. And then, and then there's also the part of life, uh, which I think a lot of the, the military guys find as they come back, okay, I'm done killing people. Uh, now a lot of them really get themselves squared away. Cause a lot of them really come back a little bit messed up. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the way they fix themselves is, is that they, uh, you know, focus a little bit more on living mm-hmm. and rather than death, you know, like they're focusing on living and, and perpetuating something, whether, you know, they're getting interested in some kind of farming or some kind of like gardening or some kind of, uh, you know, building relationships or building families or, or all these things there, they have to focus on the things about that are about perpetuating life rather than just, you know, defending and, and, and so forth. So, it, you know, it's just, it's just kind of an expansion of the ideas in the way of men to, to encompass a, a full male life and just our ideal, you know, our, like what, what are our highest ideals and how do we want to behave and who do we want to be? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that that was, it was also like we've talked in the evolution of my career to a certain extent as like I said, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy who's going to show you how to go slay bodies. That's not my job. Mm-hmm. No. You know, I don't have that skill set and I never will. But I sure do like talking about myth. Uh, so so uh, myth and philosophy and kind of big picture stuff and, uh, you know, aesthetics and things like that. And that's always been my background, always be my interest. So I'm like, that's, that's what I bring to the bigger picture as the bigger picture expands. Mm-hmm. And so this was my, you know, this is like, this is, seemed like the right direction for me to go in with my strengths. Well, we share that interest in myth. It's always been one of my strongest interests. And this is this is where I want to get into sharing what I thought of fire in the dark. And But first I want to ask, how are you with praise? Because a lot of men are not great at accepting praise. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah okay, maybe, kind of. So because I, I would like to praise you, but I don't want to make you uncomfortable. So I can, so you let me know no, how I'm, you... I'm, uh, I'm used to it. I've been doing it for a while. Okay, cool. Uh, okay. <laughs> but no, but seriously, I mean, not to be that, you know, dickish. But, uh, <laughs> Please give no, it to me. It, no, I know. <laughs> I, think I, I was talking to some of the guys last night. Uh, we were over here rolling and we had a new guy here. And we we're just talking. It, it's been really fun you know, we'll, we'll do a few savage rounds and then 
sit around and talk for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh, I guess we should try to kill each other again. And then, like, you know, do another few rounds. And so we were here for like four hours last night. Yeah, maybe, you know, I probably rolled maybe six rounds <laughs> during that time. But I uh, also did a lot of talking. And, you know, one of the ideas that, you know, I talked about was you know, different things motivate different people. And I'm, I'm esteem motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I, I'm not interested in power. I've found that out in being in positions of power that I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tell you what to do. It doesn't get me off. It's not exciting. I'm interested in my own legacy and, and esteem. And in, yeah, I'm not really super financially oriented. You know, like I don't really care about money that much. Mm-hmm. I care about money so I can make, do cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I, I like being appreciated. So yeah, it doesn't make me that uncomfortable, but okay. uh, I, yeah, I'm always humble about it. Because, you know, like, like I said, I'm just a guy, right? You know, how, how did I pull this off? I don't know. But, uh, you know, so you don't, I don't get too weird about it. I think I like, I'm always like, people are like, get super weird. They dudes get uncomfortable. Like they ask you to sign their books. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, they they feel like weird of asking. And I'm like, that's my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. that's my job. You know, like, that's what I do. You know, like, uh, it's not weird. It's okay. You know, it, it doesn't make you fanboy. You're not like, you're, you're not genuflecting in this horrible, like monkey paws up kind of way. It's cool. I, it's good to be appreciated. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, probably too long an explanation for that simple question, but there you go. No, I actually, I think that's really great because, you know, the thing that I notice is that men are really afraid of being, sometimes afraid of being genuine with each other in, in terms of showing genuine appreciation. Like, no, thank you. Like, like you say, it doesn't make you a fanboy. It doesn't make you weak or subservient or yeah. anything like that. And it doesn't make me into some God, but this is how men are used to relating to each other. Unfortunately now, because I think we've lost a lot of these values of masculinity where how do we actually connect with each other and show appreciation and show respect without it being needing to be a power thing. It doesn't need to be a power yeah. thing. It can be a genuine thing between two men. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's why I asked. Okay. Well, so my, my impressions of the book is that you've written a very important book. Because as I said earlier in the interview, you know, as I look at the, the total amount of work that's been produced in this, in this movement of men in the Renaissance, the two most important books that I can identify are The Way of Men and Iron John. Like if you only had to read two books, those would be the two. Mm-hmm. The problem with Iron John is as wonderful as it is, it was written in the world that Robert Bly was in at the time, which was a world of feminism. It was, he yep. accepted, like you mentioned about Robert Moore and King Warrior, Magician Lover, they fundamentally, the mythopoetic guys fundamentally accepted the feminist frame. You know, that there's something that needs to be fixed about masculinity, I guess, in some sense. They may not use that word, but it's sort of this idea that, well, we need to dig down deep within to find what's really good about masculinity because masculinity might be bad and we've lost it or something like that. Right. And the, the direction that the way of men comes from is very opposite, which is to say, no, masculinity is, is fine as it is. And we actually just need more of it, uh, not less. And so yeah. this is the world that Robert Bly was writing in. And like you say, with Camille Pagla, maybe at the time those ideas were edgy. Maybe at those times those ideas were interesting because they were new. Now yeah. we have 30 years of time on from them was like, well, maybe that didn't work out so well. Yeah. So, yeah. With, so with Fire in the Dark, what you've written is that you've written a book of mythology that I think in many ways is the spiritual successor to Iron John. Uh, it's the it's the masculine spiritual successor successor to Iron John because whereas Iron John says, you know, the key to Iron John's cage is under your mother's pillow, like there's some power that you have to take back from your mother. Fire right. in the dark doesn't say that at all. It says you have everything you need within you as already uh, as a man, and you don't need to take anything from your mother. And to whatever extent what Robert Lai said might have been true back then, it's no longer true anymore. 
So uh, what I think is very powerful what you've created here, because now you can send men to a book that is the kind of the spiritual counterpoint to Iron John. It's like, yes, there's truth in this, in this Jungian kind of way, uh, but there's also a lot of truth in this. And you get to read both and decide which one resonates with you in 2021 versus, say, 1990. And I think that's incredibly important for men and will continue to be important going forward. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, because that's what we need. And that's what I try to do with this book. I mean, I would have said, you know, it's the obviously the... Uh, counterpart to King Warrior Magician mm -hmm, Lover mm -hmm, uh, yeah. because of the way I, I went into archetypes and so forth. But uh, yeah, I mean, because we needed something different because like you said, some of that stuff is good. Mm -hmm. yeah, the, the, some of that content is really good and it is valid. And it's important to think about men and their spirituality and their psychology and, and so forth. But, you know, because they had that frame, we've, we've determined that that's not the frame that we need mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. That's not a helpful frame. It's a helpful frame if, if you just want to act accept anything really that's, that's coming your way in the way that we're talking about with the disorientation and so forth. And mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it, we needed it framed to actually solidify things. So I think this is a way to do it. And also I, obviously the book deals with the, the problem that like, yeah, I mean, I know tons of Christians. I, I love Mormons. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're my, they're my, they're my boys, mm -hmm. but, uh, it, at the same time, you know, a lot of guys just aren't going to get there. Like, that's not my jam. I can't do, I can't do Jesus. I can't. Right, uh, right. Like, and that's not, it's not because of any particular rules. So it's like, that's like, it's just aesthetically wrong for me. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. and, and so, and there are a lot of guys like that because they weren't, they either weren't raised with it or they were raised with it and they rebelled from it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they, they, it's just not their thing. And we've lived in a world where that's been made possible. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, like it's like 15th century. It, it doesn't matter if it's not your thing. It's going to be your thing. <laughs> it, oh, <laughs> you it's know? your thing. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's everyone's thing, <laughs> you know, world now. And so there is a little bit of picking and choosing that we get to do yeah. uh, in that way. And, and as I talk in the book, you, you have this idea of the high seat. Uh, that Cleats golf, uh, you were, we were looking, we can see all of history. So we mm -hmm. can't live in this isolated place where we, we don't see how one set of myths evolved into the next set of myths mm -hmm. and the next set of myths. And, and we can see the connections between them and so forth. So, and I think a lot of guys have grown up with that. I mean, if you've grown up with Wikipedia and you've grown up with the ability to, to fact check things and look through all this and see this, all this information that really people didn't even have. I mean, you look at your Robert Blyes and so forth. Uh, I mean, you know, Joseph Campbell and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was all very new. Mm -hmm. It's comparative mythology. Obviously you had Fraser and, and stuff before that, but uh, you know, all this comparative mythology and, and bringing these things together. I mean, that was, it had to exist within the context of Christianity up until like, you know, like the sixties, <laughs> you know, it had yeah. to be, and then after that, then all of a sudden these people are exploring these different ideas. It's like, well, we don't have to be Christians, so what else can we be? And then they all become Buddhist or whatever, you know, but uh, right, right. It, it's, I think that there's power in archetypes and there's power in these myths and these things that are eternal and these eternal ideas. And I think that men just needed a different way to look at it at this point. You know, a lot of men. And like I said, there are tons of men who I like who have already found their frame and that's fine. And what's cool about this is I think that what I've created with Fire in the Dark, the system that I put forward is compatible with their systems. I mean, because like I said, we've always been talking about the same thing. It's like, Oh, sky fodder. Got you. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> you know, like, all about all, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all, we're all t uh, talking about that, that in some way. And so they can take what I'm saying at, at a different level mm -hmm. 
And like, I, you know, we talked about Tanner. I mean, Tanner's read the book and really liked it. And he said it, it uh, um, I probably said this too many times, but he, it was just a good compliment to get from text from Tanner or whatever sure. is I feel like that improved my relationship with God. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm like, that was a huge compliment to me. It's not like, you know, where in before I was in a system where I was like, well, well, they're Christians and we're pagans and da, 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 da. we have, you know, like, uh, and one of the guys we had over last night to, to roll as a Christian and, and, you know, we're having the same discussion really, you know, like, uh, it, it all, it, you know, it's a way that men I think can come together at different levels. I mean, yeah, I'd sure, sure like to have pagan rituals to the striker and the father and the, and, uh, and the Lord of the earth. And I'm sure I will, mm-hmm. but, uh, and I already have, <laughs> you know, I have an altar behind me and, uh, you know, mm-hmm already done sacrifices and things like that. But you can, uh, it's also a way that, you know, people who aren't doing that can also appreciate what I'm doing and we can have some common ground. Oh, it's essential. Well, one of the yeah. things that I've been saying, I, I spoke to Ben Howes uh, from Oaks and Oaths. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He mentioned, he mentioned, he talked to you a few times. I spoke to him on my podcast last week. And I think what drives a lot of men away from Christianity now is that it's completely lacking a relationship to as you would say in Fire in the Dark, to the striker energy and yeah. to the Lord of the Earth. It's really, it's got the Skyfather thing. It's got it pretty down. You know what I mean? Got that yeah, sort yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. there is no warrior striker energy and there's no Lord of the Earth energy. And so men naturally feel this hole in themselves. Like, well, as I'm growing more into masculinity and reading, you know, the way of man and reading the way of the superior man and reading, you know, Bronze Age mindset or, or reading, you know, uh, Sovereignty by Ryan Mickler or any number of these books, they're finding all these values that are really resonating and that are very nourishing to them in terms of their masculine, uh, their masculine natures. And then you go to Christianity or you go to a church and it's like arms waving in the air and, you know, yeah. Jesus come into my heart. I love you so much. And it's like, men are like, what is going on here? And, yeah. you know, that's sort of like imposed and that's been imposed on them for their entire lives. And so I think it leads a lot of men naturally to conclude that Christianity is as seriously flawed and broken as a religion. Mm-hmm. I come at it from the other direction where I'd already been on my journey as a man and I discovered just Christianity and realized it had the answers that I was looking for. And I didn't find anything that contradicted my own experience of being as a man, except for in the churches. But when I actually encounter the Bible itself, the striker mm-hmm. energy is in there and the Lord of the earth energy is in there. It's just been left out of most people's teachings. And so just like Tanner, as I read Fire in the Dark, I felt like my relationship with God was improved as well because I can see those energies in myself and I can see them reflected in the teachings just because the regular pastor or preacher or community doesn't seem to value them doesn't mean that they're not in there. And that's what I think right. is going to be very inspiring for many Christian men to, like as you say, to find that common ground, not necessarily just even with pagans, but also with particularly with Muslim men or or men mm-hmm. of you know various other faiths, particularly indigenous faiths, which have a very strong relationship to the striker and, and to the Lord yeah. of the Earth, obviously, which is the appeal of those faiths. And so you have created this common ground of many men to come to, but many men from Christianity are probably going to have to abandon a lot of what they've been taught, which isn't necessarily a bad thing considering what men are being taught by Christianity right now. Right, right, right. And just by mainstream society, you know, but you have to change your assumptions a bunch. And that's, that's really what the, you know, obviously I was, you know, kind of joking, but kind of not, you know, creating uh, the idea of the gold pill the other day when I sent out the the email on that. Uh, But the, the red pill is all about, what you've been taught is wrong. Mm-hmm. And you know, like there's a different reality that's here mm-hmm. and it's about like exposing that reality. Uh, you know, where, but I was saying like, well, then you have to go one step further and act on it. And that's a different thing, mm-hmm. you know, but. Well, it's like a, I've described it as blue pill, red pill, 
black pill and then white pill. And so now there's a gold pill, which I think is great yeah. because I think white pill sort of has this neutral kind of quality. Like there's a lot of hopefulness to it, but I think gold pill is ultimately a stronger sort of position to land in as I'm seeing that meme spreading through Instagram. And there's a couple of Instagram accounts out there that are gold pill and gold bra and stuff like that. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, <how quickly> really? <laughs> that's so cool when that stuff happens. That always amazes me. Yeah. It's a, it's a, that, that is a weird pinch yourself kind of moment uh, when it's, uh, you put that stuff out there and then it takes on a life of its own, you know, which could be bad too, uh, you know, right. depending on where, which way it goes. Right. Cause you really can't control that. But you know, it's cool. Cool. You know, it's like, I look, someone messages me and then I go and look at the profile. I'm like, Oh, you have something I created tattooed on your body. Okay, cool. You know, like that's <laughs> you know, like, all right, uh, cool. You know, you put that stuff out there and it, you know, like it just becomes alive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's right. My favorite quote. And I want to make a, a picture once I get, I have more Eagles coming. Uh, but uh, more eagles are needed back there. I have more golden eagles that I need to fill my altar with. But when they're here, <laughs> uh, when, when they come to me from Etsy, uh, they, they will, uh, 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 the masculine source for home decorations. Yeah, Etsy. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I joked with Tanner one time. I was, I was like, yeah, like everyone wants to follow my music account. And I'm like, I'm, I was okay. You're, you're gonna hear a lot of Hans Zimmer, and uh, but. Uh, you know, like what they really need to follow is my Etsy because that's where good shit is. Uh, you know, like because uh, you know, you know, I'm an artist and I'm like, I could, I could find some neat stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, like so, yeah, I have like two or three more golden eagles coming over there. But once, once it's all finished, I like to take a picture at least uh, for Instagram or whatever. And and uh, one of my favorite quotes by Mishima, uh, yeah. it comes from a, actually a stage production that I went and saw. Oddly enough, um, and, and it's something like like I fight dreams with dreams. Mm. And, uh, that's, that's my jam, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And so like, if I can put a new dream out there or, you know, you know, refurbish or, you know, integrate an old dream and make it, it make it alive and make it now, uh, that's what I'm really interested in doing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, this is mimetic warfare. And you say that it's unusual that the kid who goes to art school would be the guy writing the way of men. The kid who went to art school is the ideal guy to write that book because now we're in a war of aesthetics. It's beyond just yeah. mimetic warfare in terms of ideas. Now it's can you express those ideas visually and particularly visually because we live in such a hypervisual culture with this with the screens that we're all carrying yeah. around. We're no longer fighting just philosophically. It's can you express your philosophy in a way that's visually stimulating. It's beyond it's moved beyond even music now. Now it's like can yeah. you produce the most aesthetic, visually pleasing content? So you're kind yeah. of the ideal ideal guy to do it to blend philosophy and aesthetics, you know, not just yeah. in your books and in the stuff you create, but in your physical person as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I think that's that's important. I mean I you can't leave that behind. I mean I have been in different as as these worlds were coming up, you know, as uh, whether it's Manosphere or other groups that I've been, you know, like involved in peripherally as they're evolving, you have these long, these websites that are like, you know, 1995 websites for a long time that were like, uh, you know, full of blocks and blocks of text of the mm-hmm. reasons. And here are the arguments and the reasons and the arguments. And that's important. I mean, you have to have a foundation that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you guys are failing because you're competing with Hollywood and Hollywood's winning. Yeah. You know, like you we have so much power and that's, what's cool about where we're at in history and in this weird way, as far as aesthetics goes, I mean, I don't have to be a baron who has to commission art. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I don't have to live in a castle to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like I, I was, we, when we went on, I was telling you what my lighting setup was. And then, uh, you know, it's all this stuff is accessible to us in, mm-hmm. a, in a way that it wasn't five years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we can produce television con- quality content 
you know, film quality content, uh, for very little money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so it's accessible to all of us to raise that bar and, you know, you see it happening and it's exciting. Like I said, that, uh, uh, John Lovell, who has, we're a uh, poet society. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's creating his own TV channel. Right. You know, and, uh, and the, you look at the stuff and it's photographed the right way and it looks the way it should. It, it looks like any other channel that you'd see on TV. And, uh, that's the war we're fighting because that's what people are used to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, and, and, and with, with masculinity, you have, that presents another challenge because, you know, one that I think that I, that's, one of the things that I'm good at is like, well, what does that have to look like? Because it can't look like, you know, the way women do it mm-hmm. and the way our other, the rest of our society is doing it. Like what, it, what do men really want to see? And what, what, how does that, you know, how is that visually expressed? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what is, what is a more mat? What, what would a more masculine magazine look like? Or what would a more masculine, uh, you know, film look like? Well, film, films do pretty good with masculinity, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, what would, you know, there are so many angles that we can look at. Like, don't just copy what women are doing. You know, like, right. don't just copy what the people who hate masculinity are doing. What would you create on your own? Mm-hmm. Like, what 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 would be really really appealing to men? And not just at the most basic level. Like, we're going to have to have a lot of explosions. Uh, but like, <laughs> you know, wrong like with that. At, at a at a I mean, that, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's at a deeper level as well, at a, at a more advanced level. Mm-hmm. You know, like I always think it's interesting, like, uh, you know, especially, you know, I talked to some of these guys that are, you know, you know, high up military guys or high up, whatever, uh, very accomplished guys. Or, I mean, I was just talking to a, a fairly famous MMA fighter about mid-century modern furniture the other day, uh, <laughs> you know, like just yesterday, oh, actually, because I was starting my office. He's like, I too like mid-century modern furniture. And uh, so, I mean, men are not as one dimensional as women and feminists would like them to yes. be. Yes. But, but I think it's a really interesting question. Like what kind of chair is, is more masculine? Like what kind of, you know, like what I think that's the kind of stuff that I think I, I, like I said, I think I could bring to the table and look at in a way that other people don't, mm-hmm. um, you know, like how, and, and like Tanner does that it really well. That you know, that's what he does. He divides pieces, he values people on style. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have these finally, all the art has been on one side, you know, like for a long time, yeah. a really long time. And it wasn't always that way. And I talk about that a little bit in the book. Uh, you know, it has, had, art became, art was against, has been against men mm-hmm. for a really long time. Mm-hmm. It's been against everything that men care about. So men think they hate art. Right. And uh, no, you don't hate art. You actually like art. You just like the art that was, existed before art hated men. And, uh, you know, that you like the art that's, uh, you still think Greek statues are cool and, you know, statue of Washington on a a horse is cool, but, uh, you just don't like the kind of navel gazing bullshit art that is, is implicitly Mm anti-male. Uh, so, you know, it's, I think you say Renaissance of men. I mean, I think there, there's a possible for a possibility for some kind of Renaissance of, uh, art. I mean, it it takes courage because they'll lose clients, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like dudes who are actually just actually pro male in any way and not apologetic for it and not weirdly talking around it. Like mm-hmm. um, my, one of my favorite artists was always Matthew Barney, uh, who does, you know, like, but it's super, super high concept to the point where like, you don't know what he means. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, he's talking about literally part of the male anatomy is his entire over is based mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I, uh, I have that on DVD. Yeah. Nice. 
uh, I saw some of it like in art galleries when it was still floating around. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and they were selling on Laserdisc or whatever. But uh, <laughs> good luck with that. Uh, yeah, but but uh, yeah, I mean, it, to just be openly like, hey, I think this is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Is different from where he was coming from and where a lot of other people coming from. But I think once you get that uh, and have people shamelessly making good art uh, that's based on the kind of things that they actually care about and th- th- that elevates strength and, and, and honor and, and things like that. I mean, that's, that's a real turning point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that could be really exciting and really interesting. I mean, art movements are really exciting, right? I mean, like, like my favorite manifesto, I'm going to read it sometime for my newsletter. It's a, the, the, the futurist manifesto. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's fantastic. It's like, we will sing the excitement of, of speed. It's like, like the excitement of speed and machinery and, and flight. You know, it was like right industrial revolution. Planes are being invented and trains and automobiles and everything. And they're like, nothing is more exciting than this. You know, it was, it was, it was all art about that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we have a time, we, you know, there's a potential to create a, a like yeah, a renaissance of, of art uh, that, speaks to things that actually are exciting to men and that that are consistent with their values. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Jack Donovan. For all of you who are new to the Renaissance of Men podcast, welcome. This podcast is a crossroads of sorts as I interview the men and sometimes women making this transformative men's movement go. As I said in the intro, this is my 20th episode. You can find other interviews with Tanner Guzzi, Zach Small, Mr. Swift, and Pat Stedman, as well as Instagram superstars The Howling Void, Masculine Revival, and Alpha Starseed, plus the world-renowned sculptor Sabin Howard and author Clausen Smith, among many others. I also do a series called Poetry for Men, where I read and interpret poetry that I believe has a lot to teach us about what it means to be a man today. My 10th episode of that is coming up, and I think you're going to like it. Also coming soon is an interview with Pastor Michael Foster, host of the It's Good to Be a Man podcast, author of the classic No More Mr. Nice Guy, Dr. Robert Glover, as well as the mysterious man behind the surging podcast and Instagram account titled Blood and Rain. You can also find me on social media. I have the most fun on Instagram at Ren of Men. That's R-E-N-O-F-M-E-N, like Renaissance of Men, but shorter Ren of Men, where I blend text and images to tell a story. And I'm on Twitter as well, at Will underscore Ren of Men. And finally, don't forget to check out my website, renofmen.com, to learn about my coaching and community options, as well as visit the library, where you can see Jack Donovan's work listed, along with dozens of other books, leaders, and communities of this accelerating worldwide movement. Once again, you can find my website at renofmen.com with all this information and more. That's all for now. Please enjoy the rest of my podcast with Jack Donovan. And I think that's happening. And on my podcast a couple months ago, I had Sabin Howard, who uh, is a sculptor, and he's doing the World War, the U.S. World War One Memorial in Washington D.C. And it's a sixty-five foot wall of bronze. It follows the hero's journey, where this it's it's multiple figures. I, I want I want to say it's something like thirty different figures across the entire wall of bronze, where a man leaves his home and wife and family and goes off to war and goes on the journey of war and then comes back and returns, you know, and, and passes it on to the next generation. And it's that whole narrative cycle, and it's very unapologetically masculine. He's a classic. Uh, Renaissance 
bronze figurative artist. Of course, there aren't many in those in sculpture anymore, particularly not in bronze. And he got the commission and it's this massive project. And so he's, he was on my podcast and we had conversations about this very thing about what it's like being in the, you might say the public art world, what it's like being in the art world in general, having watched that go on, particularly being a, a Renaissance sculptor, a figurative sculptor, particularly of the male body. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so that's happening at the very highest level. And I think men like that really lead the charge for other men to say, wow, you mean that I can actually produce art that's actually aesthetically pleasing and that celebrates the masculine virtues and, and celebrates the feminine virtues. And that doesn't have to be abstract and strange and weird and off-putting. Like, you mean I get to do that? And I think that's, that's happening very slowly as men are starting to wake up to the possibility of being able to express themselves in this way. And it's, it's incredibly exciting to be on the edge of as uncertain and disorienting as this moment is, there is signs of really incredible things happening. And that's one of the paradoxes that we're living through is that, yeah, none of us want to be living through this time, but we also get to live through a time where amazing things are being created like your book or like the sculpture or like all the, all the pursuit of aesthetics that are going on. Like it's, it is this Renaissance and the, when did the Renaissance come out of, well, it kind of came out of the dark ages, the so-called dark ages, you know, they weren't actually all that dark, but you know, it sort of came out of a time of feudalism and, and, and political strife and warfare. And then, so they rediscovered classical Greek and Roman values and invented for the first time essentially the notion of being an individual in the West in the way that we understand it. And so mm -hmm. out of the out of the darkness came this new light that went on to be a turning point in history. And I think we're living through something very similar. It just requires a high tolerance for ambiguity. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I was laughing because uh, it reminded me like a quote. I think it might have been the first chapter of the book. Like uh, it's, a, it's a quote from uh, Fire, Fire in the Dark, but also I borrowed it from... Uh, uh, a book called uh, uh, The Wanting Seed. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my favorite uh, dystopian uh, novels. Uh, not a lot of people have read it, but uh, the quote is, uh, disappointment opens up a vista of chaos. Mm -hmm. And then I follow that with chaos also provides a lot of raw materials. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a space in the raw materials for creation. Space in the kindling, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it does. I mean, okay, everything's shifting and nothing's fixed. So now you can, there's ways to invent. Mm -hmm. And when something, when everything falls down, you get to make it again. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, that's what's, that's, that is exciting. And, you know, like, you know, I hope that we get to see the other side of it, right. but, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I would like for that to be my life is to, to help, uh, facilitate that in some way and maybe participate in it. I, I should be making more art and then running my mouth less, but you know, I've just got good at it. <laughs> you know where your strengths are, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, well, first of all, there is the question of, is there another side? Are we going to get there? But there's also something to that in, in manly conflict. Like right now we live in a, in a world of uh, a war of ideas and words and uh, in some sense, visual aesthetics. And we're not really in any sort of like actual physical conflict yet. Um, of the sort that I think a lot of men get very frustrated. It's like, oh, unfortunately, like I'm just feeling this rage in me at things and they have to bottle it up and continue to channel it into productive outcomes. And I think, but I think there are a lot of people that are worried that actual conflict is coming to America. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but there is this feeling of like, how long is this path sustainable? And is it simply enough to build our alternate aesthetic universe? And at some point, when do these actual alternate aesthetic and philosophical universes clash? And what does that look like beyond like you're canceled or beyond like, I'm going to deplatform you? Like, what does, what does that actually look like when 
the rubber meets the road in some sort of physical capacity. Like when you carry a painting that you've made into a gallery, you know, and then someone comes at you with a knife or something over it because it paint, it represents values that they find abhorrent. Like, does that happen? Are we on the cusp of that? I don't have a good answer for that question, but that you can't escape that feeling as part of being alive right now. No, absolutely. I mean, and, and this is where I guess I have to like contradict myself and say what we need is barons. Uh, <laughs> you know, more I mean, dukes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what we need is honestly, uh, big things happen with a lot of money. Right. And uh, like we can do a lot with very little right. Uh, right now in a way that we never have been able to. I mean, if Michelangelo would have better had an iPad with an Apple pencil, oh my God. Right. Uh, well, maybe. The speed, you know, <laughs> which, which we he could have created masterpieces would have like gone up ex- extremely. Uh, yeah, so we have a lot of opportunity in that way. But uh, for big things to happen, okay, who's going to create the venue mm-hmm. in which the new art is displayed? Right. You know, who's going to, you know, that is secure. <laughs> so that we don't have yeah. a knife person coming up and doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, who's going to create the venue for it? Who's going to create the channel mm-hmm. for the new products? And that's where we're at that place right now. And that's, that's what I think is really interesting. I, that's kind of the newsletter I want to send out next week, I think, is talk about, well, we're at a, we're at a, a clean slate moment. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if we're all moving off of these social media platforms, do we just recreate their dysfunction that was designed to make us like slaves? Mm-hmm. Or do, do we envision something better? Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's a really interesting question. It's like, you, do you just, okay, you're not allowed to talk on this platform anymore. Do you just go and say the exact same stuff and behave the exact same way you were behaving before? Or do you do it in a way that isn't, really motivated by making you crazy and uh, keeping you with your eyes glued to the screen forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there's so many, there, there's a lot of opportunity, like I said, for creation, but obviously we do need some, some barons uh, mm-hmm. to step up with, with some big money mm-hmm. and uh, you know, more money than I'll ever have uh, sure. to, to, to invest in a lot of these things so that we can move forward. And I'm actually surprised more of that hasn't happened, but I do think it is starting to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, uh, the past few months have made it really clear what direction that we're heading. I think it was possible somewhere between November and January to say, oh, we don't know which direction things are going. We don't really know. There's sort of this ambiguity, which direction are things going to fall. Now we know very clearly which direction things are going. And I think it's just been a couple of weeks. And I think people, people are kind of adjusting and adapting to that. Like, okay, this is the environment that we find ourselves in. We're now right. very clearly in a hostile environment. The empire of nothing is expanding and growing and, and all this stuff. So it's okay. So, you know, we're going to fly of a better word, sack up, and we're going to make this happen. And I yeah. think you make a really good point about uh, social media, uh, social media platforms, because the social media platforms of the past were kind of designed to expose everyone to everybody. Over time, they were kind of shifted to yeah. to you know tune to to facilitate one one opinion over the other. And what I'm seeing in the communities that I'm a part of is a a lack of social media for anything other than just kind of like the barest sort of like orientation with each other, like just touching, like, okay, we're not alone in this space. And now I'm going to turn around and now I'm going to go lift, or I'm going to go roll jujitsu, or I'm going to read a book right. or something like that. Like we're, we're keeping in contact with each other to make sure that we're all kind of moving in the same direction to bounce ideas off each other. But I'm not really interested in spending my day arguing with someone I don't agree with, you know, who yeah. I will never, like, I'm no interest in that. I need to have contact with people I have shared values with, but right. I definitely don't need to be, you know, I, I don't need to be having conflict in my day-to-day life because I've got enough building to do as Tanner Guzzi would say. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's, 
you know, I, I was there for a while. I was totally, you know, unplugged. I stopped arguing with people online. I mean, that's where I got my teeth. I mean, that's the only reason why I can write books is because oh, I was wow. arguing with people online for a long time. Yeah, amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you know, I was arguing with gay people and I was arguing with, uh, you know, in the manosphere and da, 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 like, you know, and, uh, you know, did a lot of message board arguing and stuff like that when that was a thing, uh, you know, and, and so forth. So, uh, you know, you learn how you do learn how to make arguments that people can't take apart in, mm-hmm. in that, in that way. And, uh, so, you know, that does serve some purpose, but yeah, no, it's, it's really not healthy to do it all the time and every day. And, uh, and with people, as you said, that are never going to agree. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that we're at a place in America where, where, um, it, that's acknowledged now. Like we're not, there, there are two sides mm-hmm. and, uh, we're not going to agree. There is no middle ground. Right. You know, I mean the middle, the people who are, you know, closer to the middle may change sides, you know, like there, there there's, mm-hmm. there's the people who are more reasonable on either side might be like, Oh, well, maybe you're right. And like, you know, but they're, they're the, they're, they're like a minority sliver towards the edges. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be some of that, like the real fence sitters and whatever are going to have to pick. Right. But the rest of the people, I think, uh, you know, are just going to, that their positions are just going to solidify because unfortunately, and this is the way people are, I'm pretty self-aware and I know when I'm lying to myself, <laughs> right. you know, but, but most people aren't and don't want to be. And, and so most people aren't very self-aware. And so, and I, I think we've seen this a lot recently is that people double down on a narrative. Mm-hmm. Once they committed themselves to the narrative, you know, there's the cost of saying I was wrong is too high. So mm-hmm. they just double down on it and try and protect it forever. And then it becomes a game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like protecting a lie. And I think that's, that's what a lot of people are doing now, whether it's because of the, the, the un, unmentionable uh, virus or, or the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, any other thing. People were just like, well, I committed to that position, so now I'm, now I'm stuck with it. Right. And the, and the evolution has stopped in that. And so they're just going to roll with wherever that position goes because mm-hmm. uh, their eggs are in that basket now. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately, that's just the way it's going to go. So it'll be it'll be interesting. Well, I've also I've often said to, to people, would you rather would you rather have the truth or would you rather be right? Which is to say, would you rather double down on your position? Damn it, I'm right. Which like, no, I actually want to know the truth. And that in 2020 was a huge year for that. And a yeah. lot of people were like, no, I'd rather be right. I'd rather be right. I'd rather be right. And it seems like that whole yeah. thing is just ossifying and solidifying. And the, the thing is, that warps people and distorts them into all these very strange shapes where they start accepting things that are otherwise indefensible, but they must defend that position now in order to defend and yeah. order to bolster their public position. And it's just painful to watch. It's like, if you could just let all this go. But I was reading a book last night that said that social pain registers through the same neural pathways as physical pain does. So when you oh. actually experience something, some rejection socially, that your brain doesn't process it as something separate from a physical assault. And certainly that's something that I'm familiar with having put some, you know, some words out into an email or something like that. And then to feel or a message board or online somewhere and to feel it be rejected and then to like feel it physically in my body. Like, yeah. oh, this shouldn't make sense. This shouldn't be why it is. But that's very clearly how it is. And more people are afraid of that than I think there are people that are. Uh, bravely willing to confront that, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Well, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to be committed to what you believe in. And this is something I think is very important, a very important lesson for men and probably will be increasingly for women as well, because I, I believe the renaissance of men will lead to a renaissance of women 
where men are sort of uh, defining the space of, no, we can go back to these transcendent, timeless values, as opposed to this ahistorical era that we're living through with these set of philosophical values that essentially go back to the 1950s or the 1890s, essentially, that have gone viral through the whole world and have ripped up everything in a very short period of time. There's actually thousands of years of recorded history prior to that that we can use to derive values from that we've just completely forgotten about. And men like you and men like me and, and like many of the men we know are sort of blazing that trail it's either outwards into the wilderness or inwards into the empire of nothing, one or both, that's describing the space of transcendent values. And I think that as we get more secure and solid and, and bolstering those positions, both physically and philosophically, that it will begin calling to more women as well. And I think that will be a very powerful transition moment that we get to. But we have to all brace each other for the social, sociological, professional, personal, familial pushback that we're going to get from people that are just committed to their perspective and unwilling to listen to any other alternative, which is a real shame. Yeah. And not only unwilling to listen, but unwilling to allow anyone else to hear. Mm. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, that, that's uh, you know, it's not enough that they don't want to hear it because I understand that there's plenty of things I don't want to hear. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, right. like I'm done. I already dealt with that issue. I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, they don't want anyone else to ever be able to hear it. Mm-hmm. And then that leads to the destruction of actual history, which is weird. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's definitely a thing that's happening, and which is, is you know, it's scary. It's it's weirdly, uh, it, like it's like Islamic fundamentalism, like mm -hmm. like you know, burn that monastery or burn that place that it goes against what we're saying, mm -hmm. destroy it so that it was as if it never was, mm -hmm. you know. And that's that's something that's happening right now, which is really quite tragic. That's right. That's right. These things aren't allowed to exist in dialogue, you know, for all this discussion about the science and debate and public dialogue. Well, let's have an hour on national TV where you get two people to discuss about these things in an open format. No moderator, just everyone gets 15 minutes to make their case. Are you actually committed to dialogue and the science? Oh, no, you're just committed to deplatforming and censoring. So clearly you're not about what you say you are and I no longer take you seriously. But then there's right. still this cultural power where it's like, oh, no, we're going to tear all this down. It's like, well, that's you know, that seems to be that you're, you're taking this a little bit, a, a little bit further than I think is, is necessary. But of course it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a philosophy, it's a religion and all the yeah. names that everyone gets called today, whether you get called a racist or, or any of those things, it's all just being called, you're a heretic to my religion. That's all. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely. just being called yeah, a heretic. Yeah. And it's like, well, as soon as you, well, as soon as you hear like, oh, heretic, heretic, like that word means nothing to me. Just banana, banana. Like it doesn't mean anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. but people have to get into that mindset. Yeah, no, absolutely true. Well, and you've probably, you've probably dealt with your fair share of that in your time. Oh yeah, yeah, and it becomes clear that that what's really been obvious to me and people that have attacked me and you know I went through a situation recently where you know, uh, it was kind of local, um, <laughs> where people discover you and they really all they have to do is hear that you're a bad person, right? They hear that you've done the bad thing or been with the bad people or said the wrong thing. And then, then that's, that's literally good enough to, for violence. Right. That, that's literally like good enough. They don't have to investigate it. They don't have to, they aren't concerned with truth. They're no. not even the truth of like not agreeing with you, you know, like is they're not going to agree with me. That's true. Right. But the, uh, the truth of what they're even saying, like, you know, like he's doing this. Well, I've actually never done that. He said this, actually, I've never said that. You know, mm -hmm. like, they don't care about that. All they, all they need is for someone to say that you said it mm -hmm. and, and for there to be a, 
value system. And you know, this might get me in trouble, but the, the, uh, a, a friend of a good friend of mine used to be a sign language interpreter in public schools. Mm-hmm. And so he sat through his, his fair share of meetings of all women and, and, and so forth. And, and what he said was, he's like, when you're in a group of women, what's most important is that everyone feels the same. Mm-hmm. I it's, can not, that. It, it's not about facts. It's not what happened to bet. It's not about what was said. It was that everyone feels the same. Mm-hmm. And so if everyone feels, and if someone feels differently and it's obvious, it makes everyone uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even, it, they don't even have to say anything. It, it, someone's like, mm-hmm. like, you know, like that's enough that, that, that now everyone has to harass that person until they feel the same. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we're at with a lot of things. And that's definitely the way the most extreme edge of, of these things of cancel culture and all that things. It's like, it's just, everyone has to feel the same about this person mm-hmm. and that, or what they said or whatever. And, uh, and then we can all feel good that we feel the same. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually even have to be true. That's really interesting because I, I, as I think back through some experiences that I've had where it's like, I'll say something or I'll just speak something that I think is a pretty bare, self-evident, obvious, non-controversial truth. And I'll feel the field around me shift. And yeah. then suddenly something has changed and I'm the only one who feels a different way. And, and it, I, I was never able to put words because I'd piss everybody off because that's how I would interpret it. Like I said something to a group of men and they just don't want to say it because no one's going to say the thing, but it's not even about anything verbal. It's about like, there's someone who feels different and now we must hammer the nail back into place or something like yeah, that. Oh, totally. That makes everyone uncomfortable. That, that, that yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, and the problem with that, though, is the more rooted you are as a man and your masculine nature, you're not going to feel the same as everybody. Like, sorry, I'm not going back into that box, which is, yeah. you know, which is so eternal conflict is kind of the recipe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 There, there's a no there at some point. Yeah. Well, that's, I always say that no is the most powerful word in the world. Yeah. And it used to, people used to say, well, living in San Francisco, they used to say, you know, yes is the most powerful word. You go to a place like Burning Man and you're supposed to say yes to everything because that's the whole spirit. Yeah. You know, I got lots that I could say about Burning Man. There's lots of good about it. There was lots of good about it. But certainly yeah, this yeah. idea that you got to say yes to everything is just part of the culture in San Francisco. Let's see where that got them. But, you yeah, know, yeah, so, yeah. certainly the ability to reclaim no, it's like, yeah. no. And that's, I might just want to point out, no is the only word spoken by Neo after he wakes up after, from getting shot at the end of the matrix. The only word we hear him say at the end of that movie is the word no. And I think that's really symbolic. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No is really powerful. Cause like I said, it, it is about creating boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it uh, and, and that's where all meaning comes from is a boundary. Mm-hmm. No, all meaning comes from boundaries. I mean, it, it, all meaning is differentiation. One of my favorite quotes from the book is, is that the voc- vocabulary is a taxonomy of all things. And mm-hmm. basically, you know, like basically that's what we do is we're like, this is a tree, but it's a different kind of tree from this kind of tree. So this tree is not that tree. There are two different kinds of trees. Right. And this, and this, you know, this stage of the tree's life is different from that stage of the tree's life. And, the, and, uh, it, and that's how we organize the world mm-hmm. by saying, this is not that. And differentiating between these two things. And if you, if you erode all those differences, then everything becomes everything and nothing has meaning. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like all trees are, all trees are rocks and, and the sky, <laughs> you know, like, like, there is no difference between anything. Like, all. Where everything becomes a Charles Manson speech. And it's like, like I'm you, you're me. Malkovich, Malkovich. You don't know. You don't know. You know, like, it, 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 everything yeah. becomes that. It, 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 that's, that, that's pure chaos. Yeah. 
pure undifferentiated. I mean, that's where the universe came from is pure undifferentiation, you know, and then, you know, let there be light. And that was the first actual thing. Like that's the whole story is you give a thing a name and you, you summon it into existence from the, from the void of other things by giving it a name. Yeah. The beginning was the word, right? That, Mm -hmm. that, that, that's, you give it a name. Therefore it's real. You make it real. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, you summon it forth and, and that's one of the things I like about the, you know, the new book is that, you know, like that's, that's pretty consistent mythologically speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like there's always a void in the Norse thing. It's the Gununga gap and it's a, it, you know, saying there's fire over here and ice over here, but in the middle there's nothing mm-hmm. and they have to meet so that something thing can be created. And, uh, and the same thing happens in all, almost all these religions. It starts from a place of nothing and total undifferentiation. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's chaos. And then like the creation of order is the separation of things within that. Well, that's actually really interesting. Cause one of the things I want to talk to you about is compared to your other books. Well, there's really no comparison in a way. Fire in the Dark is exquisitely researched, exhaustively researched, heavily footnoted, cited, sourced, you know, in this very, very powerful way and very, very powerfully structured in this way too, versus your previous books, which are more uh, books of exhortation, of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, More Complete Beast has the most citations of, of translations of Nietzsche, but the other books are just, they're just simply statements. And then with Fire in the Dark, I think you sort of, you, you eased off on that exhortation kind of style and sought to produce like a research book of mythology, which I think was a really interesting, was I didn't expect that at all from, from the latest book, but I think it was a really nice change in your approach. I had to try my best. Uh, you know, I'm not, as I was writing this book, uh, one of the things, my joke was I sure could use a PhD in comparative mythology right about now. Uh, you know, cause if I'm only. like, make up decades of time real fast right. and, and, you know, make connections and draw lines between things, um, at, at really high speed. Cause I, mm-hmm. I felt time in the book I need to get done. Uh, you know, I, if I had 10 more years, it'd be magisterial, uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, I, it needed to get out because I think it was of the, of the moment. And, uh, and so I needed to start here and then we can build on it from, from the, the framework I set up, I think is right. And then you can build on it from there and there's a lot more you can add to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think is exciting as well, but yeah, I mean, I, I had to try my best to really, you know, you're looking at like all myths of all different cultures and you're finding them and then get the linguistic stuff, which mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a, a philologist. The, the, that is not my background. My buddy of mine, uh, Clinton is, is really good at that, but look at proto and European and try and teach it to yourself someday. <laughs> it's all like just academic references to each other. There's no, like, mm-hmm. there's no proto and European for dummies as yet. <laughs> uh, you know, like, so just trying to, you know, while we were putting this book together, I mean, I wanted to, put together because I have an old Norse song that I sing when I do old uh, Germanic rituals and I wanted a new song mm-hmm. and but uh, try to write poetry in a language you don't understand <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a couple it, steps it, there first it's a little it was a little it's a little hard I might actually switch to ancient Greek for c- certain stuff because at least it has a structure and we know what it, they, they're saying mm-hmm. uh, you know the academics don't agree on spelling on proto European but yeah I mean so trying to understand all that you know, and put that all together. Cause I'm, that's not my background. I'm not a historian mm-hmm. and I'm not a, a linguist and, uh, I'm just, you know, a guy trying to see the connections. So I had to do my best. I'm sure I sent it to a couple of PhDs and, uh, uh, or just academics generally who are familiar with a lot of the material and who knows, maybe they'll say, they'll tell me all the places I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it's going to be about small stuff. It's not going to be about big stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like I got the big stuff, right. You're like, 
you know, when you listen to audiobook, if I didn't pronounce something in ancient Greek right, know that I looked in YouTube like five different videos and like tried to marry them, mm-hmm. marry the pronunciations that everybody had different. Uh, I, I try my best, but uh, I, you know, I also don't speak ancient Greek, so like <laughs> there's only so much I can do. Right, I, I try my best, but the, yeah, that, and that's very much the way. With there's so much more in depth that you could go with a lot of this material. It's like I had to cut it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like and as I said in the book, I mean, I deal mostly with Indo-European stuff, a little bit of Mesopotamian stuff um, in the book, but that's just because I don't have time to like study the Asian stuff. Sure, I don't have time to like be able to speak about that in any level of competency. Uh, that would take several years of me figuring stuff out because I don't have enough background in it. I mean, I can talk about Hercules. Everybody knows who that is, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, some some you know random different strain of Buddhism or whatever you like that uh, I'd have to study to understand. And so there's room for exploration. I mean, actually uh, my buddy Clinton has been finding elements of the thunder God and mirrors of it in native American stuff mm-hmm. recently. And so he has all kinds of stuff that, you know, like it, that he's been figuring out uh, that, that connects the same ideas that we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, which is really interesting. And I, I would have loved to have done that. But like I said, I, I would have had to I, get a PhD in, in comparative mythology and I just needed to put the idea out there so I can make art and do fun things. That's right. Uh, but yeah, but it is highly, I did try to do as much as I could. Well, I mean, I, I don't think that you necessarily need to have a PhD in fact, I think to some extent, a PhD might obfuscate some of what you were trying to say. You know, well, you understand. You know, so- you're not, you don't speak freely when you have a PhD because you're, you're like, you know, in a university and then, you know, you have a reputation. There, so a lot of those guys can't speak freely because uh, they'll be blackballed. Right. And, you know, I'm free in, in the ways that they are not in that particular way. So mm-hmm. I can say what I think uh, to a certain extent, uh, but uh, to a greater extent, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I do stuff from a very much a, a layman. And, you know, a truck driver who went to art school, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, but, um, I, I think it's a stretch to call myself a blue collar guy at this point, but like, uh, that uh, I am very practical in, right. in a lot of ways. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I can see the forest for the trees a little bit. Well, I mean, is it absolutely, I mean, I hear all that. I get all that. Is it yeah. necessary to write a maps of meaning for masculinity? You know, right. right. I mean, it, it's not a bad idea. So we can do it, but uh, right. you know, like, like I, that's, you know, like the little beyond my, my skill set. I mean, right. my, my skill set is to say it in a poetic way so that it connects with people. Uh, right. and that's, that's part of what I do. So, but I think that was a big leap, you know, a big courageous leap in many ways to say, you know, okay, so in order for me to structure my book about comparative mythology in a compelling way, I'm going to have to actually dive into research. It's not simply enough to assert my perspective and to leave it there. I have to go through the formal process of researching and understanding and, and putting all these things together. Oh, wow. Okay. This is a little different project and you you don't have the ability to draw from your own experience. Like your previous three books could be drawn from your own unique experience in philosophy and Nietzsche and all, and all these perspectives. But now you are moving into realms where it's like, you don't have experience in those world and you had to get the, you had to get the experience very quickly. And that must have yeah. been a really scary thing to recognize like, oh, this book is going to be very much bigger than the previous ones that I'd written. Oh yeah. I mean, I, yeah, when I was talking to Tanner about it while I was writing it, I was basically, basically like, this is bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Like in a lot of ways, I'm like, who, you know, like, uh, like, I hope I can do it. You know, like I hope I can yeah. put it together. Uh, which is a, and he's like, well, that's a really cool feeling to have. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're working on something that's bigger than you. But, uh, I mean, in many ways, I would say the way of men was, I did have to go through a similar process for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, cause you know, like 
all the research on the apes and like human organizational societies. There was a lot more academic research actually that went into that book um, that I had to familiarize with stuff. Cause I say, I said, I didn't grow up in those worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know how people were in a platoon, you know, <laughs> like, like I had to look that up, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I have to figure out all this stuff and like draw those connections. So I did have to do a lot more of a uh, research. I mean, I had to read the iron Bly and I mean, right, sorry, right. Uh, yeah, iron John and, and uh, all the books that had come before me. Mm-hmm. and so forth. And, and if you look, actually someone hit me up, I guess I gave them permission to translate it into Portuguese. Uh, but, uh, there's, uh, <laughs> just on Instagram today, someone's like, someone's like, Oh yeah, I forgot I did that. Uh, okay. Well, I guess the <laughs> translations is coming out. It's, it was free anyway. It was a free book. But, uh, uh, when I wrote the web, man, it started out, I had, it be, it was broken into two different books mm-hmm. because I sent it to a guy and he said, it didn't, it don't read good. Uh, and he's, and it was funny because he was a PhD, uh, but uh, he's like, don't read good. He's like a PhD in physics or something. Scott Lachlan. And, uh, I sent it to him and, and he's like, he's like, why don't you start with that perimeter thing? Like that idea mm. and go from there. Cause I had that in there, but I tried to write the way that mainstream authors write now, which is basically referencing everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're going to write a popular book, that's going to be the 250 page book that goes in Barnes and Nobles, you're going to, you're going to uh, be like, well, so-and-so said in the New York times and mm-hmm. so-and-so said in this inner op-ed for blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the way most of these books are written. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, if you go back and look at them, I mean, at the time I was responding to like uh, that, uh, Speech uh, like the, the the end of men and and uh, there were a whole bunch of books from feminist uh, perspectives on masculinity, mm-hmm. which I also read, and I put that out. I ended up putting that part of the book that was all about taking apart all their bullshit. Mm-hmm. I put that out as a as a free PDF called uh, No Man's Land, mm-hmm. and and like I said, someone just republished that in Portuguese yeah, it, it, soon, I guess. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, I mean that in that way, I feel like when I see you know, toxic masculinity wasn't even phrased then, you know, mm-hmm. like 2012. But when I see the newest evolution of the same thing that they've been doing for 30, 40 years, I can, I can still point back to no man's land mm-hmm. and say, I took that all apart already. <laughs> uh, and like, I took that all apart already. They've been, they haven't changed anything. Yes. They changed a phrase, but that phrase correlates to another thing. I was like in, in the seventies, I think the seventies or eighties, they used to call, uh, to call it testosterone poisoning what they call toxic masculinity. Now they've been doing the same thing. That's you know, like they, it's, it's, it's just changed. They, they just, they just evolve. It. It's just, they put a new dress on it, you know, like every year. Uh, <laughs> literally. Yeah, literally. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, they've been doing, their strategy has always been exactly what they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And so I think what, if you go back and look at what they've always been doing, like the idea of like, let's redefine masculinity. I had like a whole chapter on that in that book, you know, like the redefining of masculinity and how that's been a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been their goal. Like, like, and, uh, so, you know, it's all there. So yeah. I did, did do a lot of research for that book. It's just not in the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's in this other book, but, uh, but it's cool that it was there and I did it. And now, now it's like, it's, it's interesting because like people who I was super mad at at the time, like the worst seven, the, the dude I hated was Michael Kimmel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Michael Kimmel was like the go-to if the New York Times wanted a male scholar of, uh, uh, you know, a male expert on masculinity, but from a totally feminist perspective, <laughs> mm-hmm. he was the guy. You know, he was yeah. at SUNY. You know, like you called him up, and he was the, he was the guy who was going to be on. And then I guess he got shamed. He, he, I think he he 
he got accused as being a sexist. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and he just kind of got disappeared of mm-hmm. uh, academia. No one talks about him anymore. But yeah, he would come out with a new book every year about like how you know terrible men were, uh, you know. But uh, you know, he just he got kind of disappeared from that world. He like, again, he became a victim of the own system that he spent his entire life contributing to. Mm-hmm. You know, he basically just got you know accused of uh, you know sexism and uh, kicked out. Even though that he spent his entire life, he was like buddies with Gloria Steinem, and like you know, he, he spent his whole life doing that. But wow. uh, just so you can only. You can only capitulate so far mm-hmm. because it'll never be enough. You, you can only compromise so far because it'll never be enough. You have to be able to stand your ground a little bit. And he didn't do that and he got disappeared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no one cares about him anymore. Right. Well, I yeah. mean, they ultimately decided that they were going to sacrifice him on the altar. It's like, okay, well, you've done your job. You know, you, now it's yeah. your turn. Like, bye. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a thankless, thankless uh, job to be a male feminist, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How much of your integrity do you have to sacrifice until, okay, now we're just going to take your whole career from you for, oh, it's never, because it is never going to be enough because it's, yeah. there is only yeah. the agenda. There is only, there is nothing, there's nothing in the empire of nothing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll link in the show notes to uh, to No Man's Land because I think it's really important for men to have these, I guess you might say, rhetorical tools. Because obviously, as men trying to be more masculine, whether or not we participate online with that, I think it's becoming clear that we're going to begin encountering that, assuming we haven't already in our lives hopefully not in our homes, but certainly with our families and our communities, you know, where these ideas are going to be parroted at us, like, uh, like rhetorical missiles, like toxic masculinity, testosterone poisoning is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Can you, can you imagine? Yeah. You know, testosterone. Like the older era of like male feminism, you know, like, <laughs> Oh God. Yeah. Like mash yeah. or something like that. Like clearly you yeah, have yeah. testosterone poisoning. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he was the guy, I think back in the seventies, like the sensitive kind of Alan Alda guy was mm-hmm. the, he was like the, you know, their, their role model. Mm-hmm. Well, men have to know how to be able to fight these dialogue wars on the, on the terms and using the language that's, uh, that's available. You know, I, I do like, I, you know, a lot of men will say that I know like, oh, well, there's no difference between men and women. And I, so I, I, quote, I quote to them the tact, I know, right. I quote to them the tactical virtues, you know, strength, yeah. courage, mastery, and honor. It's like, well, aren't those virtues for women as well? I said, they are, they are representative. Women do have those virtues, but men select for the best among them from those virtues, which I thought was yeah. a very powerful conceptual tool because I don't think women select the best among them, whether they're for their strength, courage, mastery, and honor. I just no. don't think that that's how that works. Someone needs to write that book, but I don't think yeah. that that's necessarily describing men. So I think having tools like that handy f- so that men can actually begin pushing back in ways that if only trigger cognitive dis dissonance in the person for a second before they snap back into their, you know, their agenda driven haze. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, so I think books like that are really important. Yeah, no, I do too. I mean, and, and I, I, I do point it out to people every once in a while. I'm like, I already talked about this link, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, like, this is not new yeah. link. And I think understanding that it's not new is very important. Right. Uh, understanding that they've been making the same argument, like, you know, when the dude goes on an address on, you know, the Super Bowl or the, the latest magazine or whatever, and everybody's up in arms like, oh, it's like they act like it's new. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. this has all been part of the same process. It's been going on for a long time. So if you can put it in context and see where these ideas came from. I mean, I even talk about, I think, uh, Margaret Mead a little bit in mm-hmm. that, uh, that book. And, you know, the idea that, you know, this idea that men and women aren't different at all was really made up by a chick who wasn't actually allowed to 
hang out in the men's meetings at the tribe that she investigated. Like, like she was, you know, she basically was a fraud and, and, uh, she's held up as like the person who said, you know, like, like gender is attached to us, like, like a piece of clothing or something like, just like, so she had all this language that was like, made it seem like in these primitive tribes, they don't know anything like that. And really, Hey, their tribes have been conquered. And, <laughs> and so there's that. And uh, she was only allowed to hang out with the, the chicks mm-hmm. the whole time. And so she got that perspective. And then, uh, and a lot of the, what she said just simply wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, cause she was a white woman coming through like Samoa or, you know, and hanging out and like, like they were going to treat her like she was normal. You know, like, right. no, you're going to live in a nice house and do the things, you know, white woman stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, especially at that age, you know, I think it was, you know, it was before the fifties, I believe. Oh, wow. And, uh, it might've been a little, somewhere in that era, um, in the sixties and so forth, feminists picked that up. Like, see, there's no difference between women and women by this anthropologist. Mm-hmm. And it was years, decades later before they realized that she was full of shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and she was basically used by a guy, Franz Boas, the guy above her, mm-hmm. uh, was like her guy who he kind of used her and molded her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's all very interesting. There's a, there's a whole series of books. There's a guy who really got, really got mad about that. And like okay. wrote a whole series of book about how Margaret Mead is the worst. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just interesting if, if you don't know that all that happened and like, what's, you know, like where these idea comes from, it, like they do seem new, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's important for men to have that context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you remember the name of the books that were written that sort of debunked Margaret Mead? Um, I'm probably have, I might've kept those cause they were kind of rare and interesting, I but, bet. uh, it, like, I think one is called Margaret Mead and Samoa. I'm going <laughs> to guess. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's probably on my shelf over there, but, uh, yeah, like I said, there's one dude who just went hard against Margaret Mead forever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I mean, then the retractions are never published. You know, they put their big yeah. foundings and discoveries and it's like, well, it all gets constantly undermined, but somehow we don't, we don't ever talk about that. And you're the bad person for bringing it up. Yeah. 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 Well, she was always, so at that point, by the time he was writing about her, I think he was, she was so worshiped as like this, like, you know, first female anthropologist basically. And like this, this, this great figure. And to say that she was mostly full of shit most of the time, you know, it would be, it's just heresy, as you said, you know, (laughs) it is totally heretical. And so, you know, I'm sure he was not treated well. He'd be treated worse now, but, uh, yeah, I think this is, you know, a couple of decades ago, at least. But all these wars, I mean, there, there's the degree to which they're fought on the pages of the New York Times and in the public intellectual sphere. But realistically, you know, at least my experience is that the wars are being fought within families and communities. But the war is, has also been fought within myself. And this is why it's been so useful for me to find your work and so many other male writers is because it gives me ammo against the internalized ideas that have been sort of forced into my head through years of just acculturation, through upbringing, through college and stuff like that. And I don't think men should underestimate how powerful that inner programming is, how insidious some of these ideas are because they've polluted the cultural waterways for, if not, not just our generation and the previous generation, probably, as you say, three or four generations down the track, you know, it's like, and we just kind of take it, take it for granted that, oh yeah, no men. And you actually say it, I think you said it in, I think it was in more complete beast that uh, men and equal men and women are the same, but if anything, women are a little bit better. And, uh, you know, and the way that I phrase that is men and women are equal in all ways, but women are better is the double think kind of speak that we're all getting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 Exactly. They're interchangeable, except that women are better. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. And I mean, that's certainly, I, you know, living in San Francisco, I was in the new age community. And that's, yeah. that's 
they could almost just inscribe that on the walls of that community. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's, ins it's really insane and it doesn't actually serve anybody is the problem. Like I talked to Sean, Dr. Shanti Smith about this a few weeks ago. It's like, right. no one's happy in this arrangement. Has anyone noticed that like divorces and everyone's miserable? Like, how can you yeah. say this philosophy? Like, look at San Francisco. If you want to see what, what liberal perspectives yeah. do to a city and no one seems to put those pieces together. Well, yeah. I mean, well, a, they're doubling down and, and, right. and, you know, as they always say with like, you know, Marxism, it just hasn't been realized in the most perfect way yet. Right. You, know, and then you can do that forever. You're like, <laughs> it's, it's still imperfect. You know, like, like it hasn't been realized and like, your programming is not yet complete. Uh, you know, you know what, once you accept these ideas on a, on a cellular level, then, then, then you will really become the new era of, and who knows? I mean, maybe we're, uh, I mean, it is, maybe it's going to be part of the human evolution as, as we get like a self-reinforcing idea. It's like, oh, well, we're just going to, you know, make men's testosterone uh, level lower and lower and lower and lower until men and women are the same, you know, like, you know, like and then it'll be like, it was always true. We were always right. And, you know, like, yeah. like it's, I mean, really, it's easy to see, like, the guys who really accept those ideas are probably super low test guys, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so to them, well, I mean, like, a dude who's not athletic, has never done anything like that. Uh, you know, him and his wife are basically the same, mm -hmm. you know, like they, they, I mean, they, he's probably, and there's a lot of frail guys. I mean, I've lived in Portland and San Francisco and, and ever there are guys who really for them, women, men and women are basically the same, mm -hmm. you know, like their test is really low. They're probably really whiny and emotional. Uh, you know, they, their physicality is not that different from females, you know, by any like, specific, you know, like great measure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think in many ways, that's the, uh, idea. I mean, it, especially as we move into this big tech era, one of the things that I remember it from being interested in weird ideas, you know, all mm -hmm. my life and, uh, you know, seeing it written about and so forth, uh, like transhumanism mm -hmm. and, Gosh. you know, transgenderism is like one step away from transhumanism, which is the goal for a lot of, and, yeah. you know, if the sci-fi nerd that's been programming computers all your life, the idea of uploading your consciousness and then we'll just be computers and genders don't matter at all. Yeah. You, right. you know, like yeah. it's there, it's right. It's there. I mean, that's, that's in their heads, you know, mm -hmm. like, cause most of their life and what they do is like already digital mm -hmm. and behind the screen. And so they're physical, they're, you know, they're, they're whatever, uh, meat popsicle or whatever they have their, 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 their meat suit doesn't matter. Right. Uh, and all that matters is whatever they are online or in a computer or whatever. And that's, I think that's many of their ideal space because they're made, they're not physical people. And so they're very uncomfortable with the physical world. Mm -hmm. And so they idealize that and they, they're like, well, that's, that's the goal. I mean, it, which is weird because then it, it really be, we all become those alien gray men. You know, like we're, who are genderless and like weak and whatever, but have these big brains. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, I feel like that's where it's moving. You yeah. know, like, that's like, oh, well, they were just, you know, the result of a sedentary feminist society. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like that's, that's, that's how they got that way. You know, it's like their body just morph until like and degrade until that's what they become. Mm -hmm. You know, like, uh, like, uh, lizards that they've lived for centuries in the caves and they just become albino, like weird little creatures, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what's happening. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just not going to look as cool as a jacked dude in a, in a, in a hot chick. Sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, I know, agree. It's, you know, it's just like everybody being the same. And that's, I mean, that's the goal of equality, right? Like we're all like these weird little, like genderless ones.
Mm-hmm. Uh, we're like plugins and everybody's the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot, like I said, there's something beautiful that's being lost there on both the male and female side. I fully agree. And if you were to try and tell people, if you try and explain transhumanism to people, that's a thing. Oh, that's crazy. You know, that doesn't exist. It's like, well, look at your Apple watch on your wrist. That's monitoring your heart rate all the time. Look at your, your, your Amazon Alexa that's listening to everything you say and your smart refrigerator and your iPad car, which is a Tesla and, you know, the cameras you have everywhere. Like the digital world is getting closer and closer to people. And as you're beginning to break down the boundary of gender and say gender doesn't exist. And as you're beginning to violate the physical boundary, the state has the ability to violate your physical sovereignty of your actual body and enter your bloodstream. All these boundaries are being smashed, you know, with the intent, this is how I see it, with the intention of of putting people into smaller and smaller boxes. And so you have carbon shaming, which I'm sure will be a thing now too, where it's like, oh, you know, you got to eat the bugs and drink the slurry juice. And, you know, we can't, we can't have meat and you can't go out in the sun because I know that a certain tech warlord is, you know, wants to block out the sun in pure Mr. Burns fashion. I don't know if you saw that. No, I yeah. didn't see that. The, the Bill Gates wants to, because of climate change, wants to do something to where he sprays something. And I don't know the exact details. We're going to spray something to decrease the sun's rays, to reduce the sun's impact on the earth. That's a real thing. I'm not making that up, unfortunately. So it's like, we're, yeah, I know. Like He's like, demonic. He's uh, demonic. <laughs> that, that man has truly become Mr. Smithers. Oh, yeah. And he uh, says he, he is an, an evil creature. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and maybe that's my righteous war. I'm, I'm going to fight for the sun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a soldier of the sun. That's not a terrible way to go. No, um, it's not. Yeah, that's pretty glorious. Yeah. Well, I mean, these are all these things are happening. Actually, that, that reminds me of there's a passage at the end of your book. Hopefully, I can. Here, here we go. I went right to it. We are the first men all over again. We come from everywhere and nowhere, but wherever we came from, we can never go back. We can only wander through this disordered and disorienting wilderness in and around and at the edges of the empire of nothing, looking for a spot to make our stand. Beautiful. It's beautiful. And, right. and what you're describing is essentially that as we feel this encroaching empire of, of nothing and empire of digital nothing, and as we're saying, yeah. where is the spot for us to plant our roots and make our stand? And, and on behalf of what, I think is the big question that lives in many men's mind. And I don't think there's any one answer for every man. Uh, you know, I think that every man has his own answer to say, what am I willing to go to war for? And, you know, the sun is as good a thing as anything else. Like I'm willing to go to war. Hell for yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, this is where this episode is going that now, now, now we, we were like starting the, the wars of the sun. Yes. And, <laughs> Will you join me brothers? <laughs> like, <laughs> if well, not, now when, if not us, who? William Wallace reborn right in front of us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think, I think there, there is coming a time you know, for men to lead speeches like that, you know, when that will be and on behalf of what, who can say, but there yeah. is a point where it's like, we're building this separate aesthetic universe. That's, you know, as we said, that's fighting the war in a conceptual, in a conceptual battle. But once you start screwing with the sun, we're going to have a problem. That's super not cool. No. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Not cool, bro. Yeah. <laughs> totally not chill. Yeah. That is super not chill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't harsh my mellow with that shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Why can't we just live and let live, bro? Like, just don't yeah. fuck with my son. I won't fuck with your whatever you're into. Yeah, yeah. You can live in a cave. You don't need the sun. Just hide. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We can, we can work this out. Well, I mean, that does, that does raise an interesting point. Like, you know, I, I hate to keep coming back to the Matrix, but I'm so astounded at how prophetic that movie was, you yeah. know, 20 years later. You know, we talked about how, uh, you know, 
uh, all someone has to do is hear that you're the bad man who did the bad thing and suddenly they attack you. It's like, oh no, anyone can become an agent at any time, like just activated, you know, there's, you know, <laughs> totally. There, there's that yeah. metaphor. There's the red pill metaphor, but then there's also this idea of there was Zion. There was this place where the natural freeborn humans went to kind of live and were just kind of doing their thing. But it yeah. seems like the robots just couldn't leave them the fuck alone. Like, what do you care? You know what I mean? I, I don't know what was yeah, driving that. Right? They, yeah, they just, yeah. I mean, I, we see that a lot. I mean, like, and that's, that's what I said. I mean, I put out that essay recently, like, uh, they're not gonna leave you alone. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's uh, unfortunately where we're at. It's not enough that they can't just give us like a continent <laughs> and then create their own stupid world. Uh, you know, like that's not cool. As long as we exist because we exist, our existence undermines them. Mm -hmm. And I, I like conceptually we undermine them like, Oh, here's a place where men and women live as if they are different. <laughs> what, this, this law must be destroyed. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, they, they can't have that because it undermines everything that they're saying. Uh, their myths shatter if people live differently. Right. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not tolerant. <laughs> <laughs> Tolerance is the highest virtue, except for when you live differently from us, then we cannot tolerate that. Yeah, yeah. If you live or believe differently from us, then you, that, that, that's not acceptable. Exactly. Yeah, we must crush the tolerance. That yeah. is, it is intolerant to con contradict us. <laughs> <laughs> Your way of being is intolerant, therefore we must not tolerate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the relatively shaky philosophical grounds? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, we 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 feel this. We feel this. Like, look, man, I just want to live my life, and I just want to be jacked and tan, and you know, have yeah. beautiful things in my home, and and have a beautiful wife, and raise a family. And it's like, why does this have anything to do with you? Which is the oddest thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I don't care. Like, I mean, that was that's always been my attitude. Is that I like, you know, and, and I've experienced it in virtual. I mean. Uh, I had a friend in LA and I was going to go to an art opening with him with all of his weird little friends. And, and then they found out who I was and then I wasn't allowed to go. Wow. And that's, that kind of stuff happens all the time. I mean, and I didn't care. I don't care what that was. I was like, I don't care what you believe, whatever. It doesn't affect me. Now it kind of does. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's, I'm at a little different place with that now, but that's always been the way that I've been like, okay, you can have whatever beliefs you have, like whatever. I'm sure I, I'm a nice guy. We can still have a good time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't, I don't care. I don't need to bake you, you know, as long as I can go do what I want to do, mm -hmm. we're cool. That's right. Uh, but that's increasingly becoming not the case. No, you may not do what you want to do. You have to do what we're doing and say what we're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, because I, you know, like if you want to have purple hair and and you know have different body parts sewn on in different ways and like yeah, like <laughs> you know, like I don't care. Not right. yourself out. You, you know, shine on you, crazy diamond. But like, you know, <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. Just don't make me do it. Right. You know, like, don't make me do it. And, you know, if I want to live my best Chad life, then like, you know, like that, that little, I would just like to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Well, I think that's what a lot of men want. Like there's these memes going around that say men just want one thing. And it's disgusting. And it's, of course, a man with a, this family in front of a fire and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's a real evolution of that. Well, I mean, this, this is the big question that we're all struggling with is, and I think that you lay this out in, in your series of books and that the way of men was very describes the perimeter, which is such a resonant and timeless kind of phrase. Like this is, this is what it means to, to be a man drawing from these uh, 
evo psychological kind of origins that are really intu intuitively make sense. And then, you know, becoming a barbarian expands that out to say, no, your perimeter is your response to the, to the prevailing reality that we're within, you know, to establish mm -hmm. your tribe. This is good and right and it's okay. And then you, you build on that with more complete beasts, like don't fall prey to the resentment of this being the fact, you know, assert the goodness and the rightness and, and the and the truth of it and embrace it for what it is. And what I loved about Fire in the Dark is that it then takes that and says, here's how you orient. So imagine we're all sitting around the fire and we're okay around the fire and we're, we're not you know, slaves to resentment or jealousy. Like we're good being here. How do we root ourselves to the earth and how do we connect ourselves to the sky? And then how do we, how do we embody that in our living? And that's where a spiritual practice sort of comes in. And that's why I thought the book was such a great evolution of that, that I wouldn't have seen coming if I had just read the, read the book sequentially, like, where is he going to go from a more complete beast? And that you took it mm -hmm. in this, in this novel direction, I think is a very, very powerful series of books to be able to provide to men and say, here, you want to know what to do? Here is your deprogramming curriculum. Well, it's actually in a curriculum, which is cool. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's the Apogee program. It was started by Matt Boudreau and uh, oh, wow. Timmy Kennedy. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and so they have a program, like it's an educational program for young men to take kind of as an elective over top of their schooling uh, thing. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly how it works or whatever, but they have a curriculum. I've seen it. And I think mm -hmm. like the way of men is book number four, mm -hmm. uh, that they have to like read. And then this, they have a Socratic dialogue and all kinds of interesting things that they have to do, uh, with that. Wow. Uh, and so it's, that's neat. Mm -hmm. You know, I was really humbled that he added me to that, you know, cause he doesn't have to, you right. know, there's plenty of other plus, you know, cause I'm, I'm, you know, me and, uh, you know, but, uh, but, Again, because it was considered foundation enough, I think it was added, and so that was really cool. And and also, I think I should hire you to media train me because, uh, man, it is so hard to, uh, you know, whatever five hundred thousand words in, you know, mm -hmm. like to this uh, career, and uh, you, you you actually strung a lot like, together really well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm getting together my like, what am I going to say? This book is about, you know, mm -hmm. like what's my elevator speech? You know, mm -hmm. like because it's oh, whatever, it's 250 pages or, you know, if you condense it and take out the blank pages less, but like, uh, you know, it's, it's a big concept and a big book. And it's like, it's really hard to like have all that in your head mm -hmm. and then like down to like, what's the like one paragraph that I need to say when someone says, what's this book about Jack Donovan? Uh, you <laughs> right. know, like that's a, uh, it's, it's a tough thing to do. I mean, it's, it's, it, I could probably do it for somebody else, but like, it's weird to do with when it's all in your own head. Mm -hmm. Very, very weird and, and and big, but yeah, they they like I said, they they are all in evolution and they they do go together. One thing that's interesting about becoming a barbarian, which because you know me trying to have a tribe didn't work out the way I wanted it to, mm -hmm. uh, as things often don't. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, because it didn't, you know, like I, I picked the wrong people in the wrong tribe. But um, because you know I stayed away from that book, I kind of just stopped promoting it. I mean, I kept it out, but I just kind of like. I'm like, I don't post quotes from other books for a while because I don't really be tribalism guy who's just like, well, where's the tribe? Well, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. The, look, look, a squirrel. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> I, but one of the thing ideas that I think is really important in that book is the idea of becoming, uh, you know, barbarians. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously, you know, I picked that title for a reason because it's bonerific. <laughs> and you know, like dudes do, you know, like I want to become a barbarian. Oh yeah. yeah, you know, and uh, and that's cool, and I get that, and I'm I'm down with that as well. But uh, also, 
the idea of a real, really a barbarian is an alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not an alien from the sky necessarily, but a, uh, an outsider. Mm-hmm. This idea of like really the name came from the ancient Greeks being like, hey, whatever they're saying, bah, 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 bah. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just an insult of like, you're an outsider. You are not civilized. You don't, you don't have the same beliefs or ideas that we do. Mm-hmm. You don't have the same customs. You don't have the same language. You're, you're an outsider and you, we are civilized people and you are whatever the hell you are. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're becoming. I mean, that was not a wrong way to put that is like anyone who believes that men and women are not the same is now a barbarian. Mm-hmm. And anyone who believes a lot of these things that we've been talking about are, is a barbarian now. Mm-hmm. And that was more theoretical when I wrote it than it is now. That's right. I mean, it, we are definitely becoming barbarians to a certain group of people. Like, you know, like, I mean, you know, with this whole year, it was like, you don't wear a mask, barbarian. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like, that was really how it was. And uh, anyone who it, it, like uh, contradicts the system in any way is a barbarian. That's mm-hmm. uh, the edges and the fringe of it and on the outside of it. And so we, I think, all these guys in the different camps, the different religions and different cultures and whatever are becoming barbarians in our culture. The, the guys who are going to create a new masculine renaissance, the guys who are going to be outside of that. So the mainstream people, they're just going to be barbarians. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, in that way, I think that concept from that book is very important. Oh, it's hugely important. Like, cause when I read it, it was, it was, this is happening and it's okay. And actually I can lean into it. That was the cool part is like, as yeah. I read all, all these different ass, uh, attitudes that I think were, you know, at the time I can imagine feeling very edgy for you to say, you know, that was a yeah. very, you know, high exhortation kind of book where it's like very forward, very in your face with the attitudes. Yeah. And I can imagine at the time it would be quite controversial for lack of a better word. But now yeah. to read it, it's like, no, this is reality now. And this is exactly what I needed to read to be like, yeah, no, sorry. You're just, you're not my people. These are my, these are my people over here. And I don't, yeah. got, I don't got to be everything for everyone, but to read that yeah. now, it's like a shot through the ages that just is now like a cannonball that's just kind of landing. Yeah. Poof, oh, Hey, here it is. You're killing my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> which is terrible that'll, that'll that'll be what they take out of it someone will clip that on this video uh but uh, <laughs> i just say i've got nothing to do with your grandma i got nothing to yeah. do with her at all yeah yeah it's, you can't you can't help everyone you can't say everybody everybody's not your responsibility that's right well i mean that 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 perspective that you can actually say to somebody and say to yourself even because a lot of these are rhetorical tools just for the inner self like how do yeah. i approach these things that are now and how do i see them like you're talking about distinctions and you know by giving something a name you call it forth from the void and give it a distinct identity i think as men we all look around and we see all these things happening but we don't necessarily recognize it it's like what is this that's kind of going on and you give names to so many different things that help us say oh that's actually real and it's okay yeah. that it's happening which that's a very powerful place to be in neat Neat. Well, so, you know, what are the plans for Fire in the Dark? When do you think it'll be coming out? And, and, and what are your plans for, uh, for where you see it going? Well, I have a few plans. I mean, I've, that's, that's the struggle of the book. I've had plans the entire time of writing it, but you have to finish the book so you can get the plans. That is a thing. Uh, but uh, it's, you know, I'm always uh, two steps ahead of where I want to be, but uh, in my mind. But uh, Fire in the Dark, uh, being, it should come out early March, I believe. Uh, I'm trying to get the audio book done right now in spaces between interviews like this and mm-hmm. so forth, you know, you can only talk so much in a day and you can only narrate so much in a day, even more, right. you know, I'm trying to get that, get through that about halfway through the audiobook, And I'd like to have that come out close to when the paperback comes out to move beyond that. I'm toying with the idea of messing with some software right now 
of creating a social network for people who are interested in that book. Because mm-hmm. uh, there, there are different ways that you can create social networks that are closed. Right. And uh, which, you know, because we're all getting off of them. We're like, well, what do we want to create? Same thing. And I've always, I've been avoiding that because I didn't want to have a Telegram group. And I didn't have, and we've talked about why, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the security issue and all kinds of stuff. But if there's something that I can manage in a way that it's positive, um, I'm looking to see how I could do that. Uh, just, you know, for guys who are really into these particular ideas mm-hmm. um, and want to kind of build a community on that the realm. Uh, I do have some money set aside, hopefully, uh, so that when the book comes out, I do want to commission art based on like, envision the striker. Like, what does that mm-hmm. look like? You know, make, make some art. And I'll probably have some contests looking. I might, I might do it as a grant system, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, shoot me a proposal, you know, cause I don't have that, I don't have that much money, but like, uh, shoot me a proposal and whoever has the best proposal, then I'll commission you to do the work mm-hmm. kind of, I think it's might, I might run it and do a small, some small contests, but the bigger money I'll put into a uh, grant kind of situation and, uh, you know, begin to build, bring these ideas to life mm-hmm. as they're words right now. But if you, you can bring them to life and have like, you know, that was something with the Germanic pagan stuff was like so much of it until very, very recently was, you know, prints from like the 1890s, you know, like what's your picture of Odin? Well, it's that, that, uh, that one of them riding on a horse that, that, that is really cool. Arthur Rackham's uh, version from an illustrated child's book, you know, right. uh, there, there's, uh, you know, you have a handful of those that everyone's seen that image and that's Odin. And that's only, that's the only reason why is because they had a renaissance of art that was really interested in myth- mythology of that period and a whole bunch of people made great illustrations. And now in our minds, that's what that guy looks like. Right. And, uh, and so to do that with, you know, the striker and the father and the Lord of the earth, I would like to have that happen. I think that that's, you know, then, that, then those things start to take ideas of their own, like live lives of their own in people's heads. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the most exciting thing is to put that out there and fight dreams with dreams. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So that's, yeah, that's basically the plan is to, is to do more of that. And, uh, we'll be speaking at 21 convention this year. I think we just decided that, uh, recently, but, and I would like to create some art cause I've, you know, I, I the, you can't do it during the book. I can't like you know, let myself do it. Right. But you know, I did buy that iPad with the Apple pencil and I would like to actually, I'm fairly confident at that kind of thing. Once I get rolling, it's, it'll just take a while to get started. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's, that, you know, I'd like to actually illustrate some things myself. So, I feel like just one more question. I, I feel like that there are a lot of men in the coming months and perhaps year that are going to be finding their way into this movement, into this moment where men are rediscovering what it means to be a man. So if mm-hmm. one of those men is listening to that, listen, listening to this, listening to our interview and is wondering, he's encountered your book. He's read, he's read the way of men. Maybe he's on the pre-order list for a fire in the dark. And he's kind of wondering brand new in this world, what his next step should be. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm bought in conceptually and I'm willing to deprogram myself in some way. And I want to start moving in the right direction, but there's so many different ways to go. What would you recommend for his first step for this man awakening up to his own masculinity? Where would you send him? Well, I mean, it depends where he's starting because everybody starts at a different level. I mean, if he's stepping up, starting at pure zero, like I bought into all this until yesterday, kind of like, uh, you know, if I bought into the narrative until like yesterday, um, and I've never done anything, uh, you know, that, that is physical or anything like that. I always tell dudes, you should go take some kind of martial art. Mm-hmm. That's, I think the first thing as far as an action, because words are just words. 
And, you know, unless you use them to take action in your own life, uh, they, they're, they're really just words and they always will be, mm-hmm. uh, which words have, words have power as we've discussed. But I think the masculine perspective is to let the words take action. And so I think that's the easiest way to experience some of these things for real and experience really what it is to be a man among other men mm-hmm. is the easiest way to do. It's like, you know, like have a couple guys over and, and uh, try and choke each other for a few hours. Uh, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, you mean, like hopefully you, mean you, 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 you understand a man in a different way. Yeah. If you did that, you know, like who you thought they were is not exactly who they are. Mm-hmm. And, and also you've seen them, lose and win and recover and be okay. And, and, uh, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And you you get a better sense of who they are. And then you see how other men are, and then you have to step up to that a little bit, you know, like, well, I can't handle that. We were talking last night, actually, that, uh, in in the jujitsu world, like, you know, no one like outwardly says when they win, like, yeah, (laughs) like, like, got you. You know, like, like, it's just not done. Yeah. You know, like, you don't even show that much joy when you when you win. You're like, oh, that was a good good role, man. You're like, yeah, you're yeah. like, everybody's cool about it. You know, no, there is no like shaming or like whatever. Or if you tap, you're like, oh, I wish I would have won that. But mm-hmm. like, you know, like I wish I would have had a tap. You know, but it's not really that embarrassing and it's not really that bad. But you still go through the same mental process a little bit, but it's it's very subdued. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that that's very it's to have that experience on an ongoing basis. Uh, is really healthy for men. And I think that, that the, from the physical, so much else flows from that. And if you can't do that, there's all kinds of other things that you could do. I mean, dudes who don't want to do martial arts go into shooting, which is a martial art, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, or they do things like that. Or, or you know, and, and if you have that piece, because there are a lot of people who read my books who have that piece, mm-hmm. and they need to do more Lord of the Earth stuff, or they need to do whatever, you know, so they need to go and, you know, like, chill out, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, chill. Maybe you need to, like, do some farming or do, do something like that. You know, do, do some, uh, you know, getting, I mean, a lot of like, you know, a lot of these soldiers need to go do some yoga and mushrooms or something mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that because they've been too high strung for too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're all different places to start at, but yeah, for the guy at level zero, I always say, yeah, some kind of martial arts. That's great. And I, I love what you said about jujitsu. I think more than anything that disproves the narrative about testosterone poisoning that men yeah. you know, that men interact with each other in this way that's not about it's conquest so and defeat <laughs> it's so friendly yeah yeah absolutely yeah. well where can men go to find out more about you and what you do uh well my instagram for as long as it exists is at <laughs> right. the world uh from there you can take a link uh, to sign up for my mailing list which is what i'm trying to push everywhere to because that'll still be around right uh for a while um you know depending on how social media world goes so whatever i'm doing you can keep up with that i try to mail something out once a week and uh, so far it's been going really good and it's really fun to get emails from dudes instead of like going through my DMS and seeing like 500 things and like being like, I mean, not 500, I'm not that famous, but like, you know, like in a, in a day, sometimes, you know, if I post something, I might get 50 responses mm-hmm. and then I have to go through them and you miss people and you don't really want to, but if it's in the email, I can, it's on my own, it's on my own computer. It's not on my phone. Mm-hmm. So I can sit down and be like, I'm going to respond to emails right now. Mm-hmm. And then I can give them each a little bit more time. And I may not always have a response, but you know, it's been good. So if, if you want to say something to me or whatever, that's increasingly going to become the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. And you can also find uh, that link and uh, my web, at my website, jackdowstonovan.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jack. This has been really fantastic. And I hope a lot of men get a lot out of this. Awesome. Me too.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.